Welcome to Death Do Us Part Podcast, hosted by my wife, Jamie. Hello. And myself, Mark. What up, y'all? Hey. Hey. Oh, my God. So, part two, babe. Part two. It's, oh. All right. It's going to be a good one. Buckle in, guys, because this one's going to be... Oh, shit. It's going to be kind of a long one. Am I going to be able to hang? Uh, I hope so, because I think you're going to have a lot to say in this one. Oh, really? Yeah. My experience? Yeah. Okay. And the sheer incompetence? Of the police? Um, Of a lot of people. Oh. I like hearing so, that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have my opinions. I'll mm-hmm. keep them to myself for the episode, but... Um, I know your opinions. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and kind of mesh things up a little bit. So when I get to that point, I'll tell you because I think it's easier to keep track. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, like I'll do like the trial and then like the the post conviction stuff. Spoiler alert. Okay, and then stop moving around so much because you keep oh my unplugging. Fucking stuff. God, I don't know what is wrong with this thing. You keep moving around and you're unplugging stuff okay because the thing is loose okay Uh, because i can sit still don't jiggle jiggle oh my god (laughs) take a sip try not to punch you in the face (laughs) yeah okay good no but i get it that's cool because you fuck looking at what you got i I know you have a lot (sighs) This one, um, yeah, this one, I've been... You've been at it for a while, and you've been digging. Yeah, I was up till four this morning. I'm aware of that. It because I knew I needed to finish it. Every time it I kept waking up, I'm looking at yeah. you like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? There's so fucking much. Mm-hmm. There's so much. And it, realistically speaking... I don't know how much of this is known. Mm. The the media has an agenda and they stick to their agenda and they don't give a fuck what actually happened versus what they want to report happened. Oh, yeah. That's in mostly every case. And that becomes a huge part of this. Mm -hmm. Um, I just, I don't know. Okay. I think... the per- I think Sean Gale being involved had a lot to do with it. Oh, of course. It's it's a high-profile case. Right. You know, pressure on the police and prosecutors to get someone charged. Right. right. You know, in a timely manner. Which I understand. I do. I 100% understand. It's, it's the first murder in Deerfield in 30 years. Mm-hmm. So... In the first one, and not to mention it's a fucking high-profile right. one. This was a national case. Yeah. So you have the the first murder. It's done by a beloved football player. Yeah. I'm, I, excuse me. It wasn't done by a beloved football player. It involved him. Right. And I think that had a lot to do with it. Oh, but, it absolutely did. I mean, there's stuff coming out still to this day. Mm-hmm. And the specials that I watch on it, and I'll bring it up in here, they're still reporting false information okay it's it's come to light right it's been said out loud it's been said under oath right and these people in in a position of power are still going on national television programs and saying false statements 
That's fucked up. You're perpetuating the issue. Like yeah. this is a this is a fucking problem. Yeah. You can't do that. No. And and it's documented shit in court. Right. You know. That's so I'll up. I'll bring it up when it gets to it. But okay. This Any... one, I'm angry about this one. Uh, I I'm, could tell. I'm super angry about this one. Yeah, I could tell. So, do we got any business first? No, because this is going to be. <laughs> yeah. All right. Why, why don't we just jump into it then? Okay. So last week we left off with uh, Sean Gale was at the police department being interviewed. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and he had at some point called his friend Emery Moorhood, who was a uh, former teammate of his. The police interviewed him, figured out Sean lied. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I did say that Sean um, called Deerfield Police. Yeah. And there was a tape of it. Yeah. So just a little transcript from the tape. He did not call 911. Okay. He called 411 or 55. Yeah. We whatever. discussed that. Yeah. yeah. Um, to be connected to Deerfield. Yeah. Which is ridiculous. Right. So 411. What is the number to 911? Why didn't you just Hello? call 911? Why did, like, okay. Yeah. So a, a commander answers the phone. Mm-hmm. Commander True House or Haas, however. Um, and Sean says, quote, yeah, I'm calling about that shooting in Deerfield. Um, listen, I've been getting calls from media. This is Sean Gale, and they're trying to say they're naming me as a suspect. To which the commander says back, yeah, we've heard that too. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the guy's like, I'm going to have you talk to an investigator. Right. And he's like, yes, please. Now, he's cool, calm, collected, doesn't mm-hmm. sound, he's not panicking, nothing like that. No. They ask him for a callback number. He gives his number. And then he says, was it Ronnie Ryder? Is she okay? Mm. And the guy says, yes, it was Ronnie. And no, she's not okay. And immediately he says, she's dead. Mm. Why would that be your first question? And why are you saying this over the phone, too? Right. Huh. Like, I, you said, is she okay? They said no. Wouldn't your next question be, well, what the fuck happened? Is she okay? I mean, like, is she at the hospital? Right. You, you're saying she's not okay. Is she in labor? Right. Did, we know it was a shooting. Where was she shot? What happened? No. His first question. She's dead? Yeah. Nobody that's... fucking said that. Right. You said that. Throwing that out there. So the guy's like, "Listen, we're not gonna, we're not gonna tell you shit." Mm-hmm. Basically, come to the Good. PD because he's like, "Well, I'm gonna go to her house," and he's like, "Don't go to her house. There's too many fucking people there." I guess it was a media circus by the PD, like it was starting to be. So they yeah. had him go to the library, and hmm. they were gonna get him from there. So he's he's crying, and I'm using bunny ears because um, my kids cry better than he does when they want something. Like, mm. the sound of it is ridiculous. If you get a chance, Google it. That's exactly what it fucking is. And he's like... <laughs> yeah. Fucking ridiculous. And then the guy's trying to give him directions yeah. to the library. It's just past the, you know, police station and stuff. Mm-hmm. So the commander's like, you're going to turn here and turn here. And fucking stops. Yeah. And he's like, oh, so I'm going to take a right on Waukegan Road. <laughs> and then goes back to crying again. Oh, dude, come on. You didn't even try. Yeah. You didn't even fucking try. Oh, dude, come on now. Like, that just shows your level of compassion towards your 18 girlfriends. Right. (laughs) Throw that out there. Okay, so um, 
back to we're going to finish out the Moorhead interview. Yeah. Uh, he said he had known Sean for more than 25 years because they played together in the 80s. Um, Detective Lambie was the one who was interviewing Sean or uh, Emery Moorhead. And by the way, Sean's interview mm-hmm. was not recorded. Okay. Just I'm just throwing it out there for fact. Uh, so Detective Lambie asked if he knew uh, Ronnie was more than six months pregnant. Moorhead said he had no idea, and he was surprised that Sean had not told him. Yeah. Now, he he's fr- I, th- he calls this guy immediately when he thinks he's being a suspect in a murder. So you're that close with him, but he doesn't know your girlfriend's pregnant? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, quote, I talked to Sean at least six times a month and see him almost as much, but did not know he was going to be a father. Uh, he did... Emery did know Ronnie. He actually sold her her condo. Oh, really? And then last winter, uh, put it up on the market for her because mm-hmm. she was she was going to move to Sean's, whether he really wanted it or not. She was going <laughs> to either move to his house or move closer. Yeah. Uh, quickly took it off the market after that. Um. So they asked him if he could think of anyone that could help with the investigation, and he said that Sean had a close friend who was a quote boxing promoter. Uh, by the name of Bobby Hitz, which was not his full last name, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and he owned an Italian restaurant in Chicago, but Moorhead couldn't remember the name and didn't have a phone number. Um, he stated that he knew Bobby and Sean were close friends, and if anyone knew about people that might want to hurt Ronnie or Sean, he's going to be the one to know, mm. or he'll be able to give him information on Sean's other girlfriends. Yeah. So um, I'm going to say a lot of dates, too, because... I, I don't understand, and you can tell me if you want, a lot of these reports mm-hmm. were dated one day, and then they were typed up another day. Yeah. Which, I I get it. Yeah. But, I mean, there's a lot, sometimes there's a lot of time in between when they, report, when they yeah. were reported. I mean, there shouldn't be too much. Right. And now, I think I said in the first episode that Frost and Falanco both had a report. Yeah, for inter- which blows my mind. So... Frost ended up putting in his C. Falanco's, like, report or whatever. Yeah. Um, but they're so different. You guys were in the yeah, room at the which, same fucking time. So, and it, I bring that up because... exactly why you don't have two reports right. well, and for that. Frost didn't type up his report for 11 days. No. So how is yours so much more detailed? Yeah. So whatever. That's my <clears throat> point. There's a lot of dates that... Right. Okay. Um... <clears throat> So, uh, according to investigative report written by Don Smith with a reporting date of 12-3-2007, typed by Sherry Kirby on 12-12, investigator um, Fallon interviewed Bobby It's Heitzelberger. Okay. That was his full name. On October 12, 2007. Uh, he advised investigator Fallon that Sean Gale was excited about Ronnie's pregnancy and had gone to several of her prenatal appointments. Hmm. He's the only one that thinks that. Yeah. Nobody else does. Yeah. Uh, Due to this statement, Smith contacted the Buffalo Grove offices of Dr. Marion Jeltz, I think. Mm -hmm. It's Ronnie's OB. um, On November 30th, 2007 at 4 o'clock. Yeah. Uh, He ended up speaking with the doctor on December 3rd, uh, around 10 a.m. And the doctor said that he had handled Ronnie's 2005 and 2007 pregnancies in his Evanston office. Uh, he specifically saw Ronnie for all her appointments, including eight that she had had for the pregnancy in 07. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Jeltz asked if Ronnie ever had an escort to her appointments, and he said that she came to all of her appointments alone. 
He then put the investigator on hold and came back a minute later uh, saying that he had spoken with his receptionist, who's his only receptionist, yeah. uh, and stated that nobody <clears throat> had ever accompanied Ronnie to any of her appointments. Hmm. So he didn't go. No. Cute. Um, doctor reviewed the chart and noted that in 2005, he spoke with Ronnie about terminating her pregnancy because her significant other did not want children. Uh, Smith asked if there were any notes from the 07 pregnancy, and he did find a note in the file saying that both Ronnie and her partner, uh, described as an African-American male, denied they had any sickle cell issues in their family's history. They ask every woman that. Literally, what color is your partner? Oh, really? Everybody, because they test for the sickle cell trait. Oh. Um, <clears throat> so Smith then wrote in his report, quote, this notation was made on May 24th, 2007, and the inference is that Gail was at the appointment. No, it's not. He answered a question, which yeah. he probably answered through Ronnie. They do. They, the, your very first appointment, if your significant other isn't there, they ask. Health issues, nationality, color, everything. Really? Yeah. So, like... You weren't able to come to my appointments. Right. You were on burgers. It happens. So they do. They ask questions about the spouse. Through. So it doesn't mean he was there. So right. stop saying the doctor's lying. Um, <clears throat> so according to investigative report from the Lake County Major Crimes Task Force, Detective Niles had made contact with Tom Thayer, who everybody fucking knows yeah. was a Chicago bear. Um, so they talked to him the same day of the murder at about 3 o'clock. Uh, the report was typed up on October 9th. Hey, babe. <clears throat> Can you slow down a little bit? You're, like, totally amped and you're going... Well, because I, I have a lot. Okay. Well, do what you, you got to do. You're going to yell at me because I have a lot. Okay. Does it sound like I'm on crack? Yeah. Oh. And it, well, at least to me. Like, <laughs> And I'm trying to keep up with the okay. dates and it's... Like, you don't need more. to worry about the dates. When right. when you need to worry about a date, I will tell you. Okay. Is that is that okay? All right. Then continue okay. on crack. So they talked to Tom Thayer. Um, he stated that he called Sean's cell phone at approximately 11, 11 o'clock, excuse me, from the media room of Hallis Hall, right? Mm -hmm. That's called Hallis Hall. Um, yeah. He observed several <clears throat> cameramen breaking down their equipment and overheard them talking about a shooting that possibly involved uh, Sean. So we called him, and Sean answered his phone, Tom Thumb. Which what? I guess that was his nickname. Oh, um, Thayer okay. stated that he was relieved when Sean answered because it wasn't him that was dead. Um, Thayer told Sean that he was hearing info that he might have been involved in a shooting, um, and he would call him back in 10 seconds. So Okay. He attempted to call Sean two more times. It went straight to voicemail. Finally, on the third time, he made contact. Uh, he said he was hearing about the shooting, that it possibly involved Sean's girlfriend. Um, Sean told him that he was at physical therapy and had already been contacted by John Eskra. We all know he was not at physical therapy. Right. Why lie about that? No. Um, I have a theory, but I'm not going to say it out loud. Mm. I forgot to tell you before. I'll tell you. Yeah. <laughs> um... <laughs> Thayer advised him of the media being present and told him, don't go to her house, you know, right. go to the PD. Um, <clears throat> I wrote so many discrepancies on the reports. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what I was referring to at the time, but there's just there's, there's so many. much. Yeah. Um, All. So I said in part one, you know, a lot of Ronnie's friends and Sean's girlfriends were interviewed. Yeah. Um. 
So according to investigative report, again by Detective Lambie, the day of the murder, he spoke with Ronnie's friend Tracy Nugent on October 6th at about 7.30 at night. Quote, I asked Tracy what her first thoughts were when she heard the news about her friend being killed. And she stated, I know it was, I knew it was him right away. I knew it was Sean. Who else would do this? Wow. Um, Lambie also interviewed um, Ronnie's close friend, Michelle Amatorp, on October 8th and said, quote, I asked her what her first reaction was when she heard what happened to Ronnie. She stated that she became ill and thought, quote, he killed her. He is so self-centered that her pregnancy has messed up his perfect little world. Yeah. I asked whom she referred by when she stated he killed her, and she stated Sean Gale. Mm. Uh, investigator Sifkin interviewed Ronnie's friend Rhonda Reichel, I believe, on October 12th. Quote, I asked Reinke if she knew of anyone who could have done this to Ryder. She immediately responded with, quote, yes, Sean Gale. I asked her why she felt that way, and she advised that Gale did not want to be exclusive to Ryder. Also, when Ryder had their daughter, it would ruin Gale's lifestyle. So we're all on the same page here. Um, there were multiple more friends. I won't go through them because you'll punch me in the fucking face. Because um, there's there's a lot. Yeah. Um, so Investigator Falenko ended up interviewing Ronnie's parents, um, Douglas and Lana. Both said that Ronnie was very happy and told them that, quote, she loved Sean Gale dearly and no other. They described the victim as extremely sociable and outgoing and could not recall her having any enemies, financial or criminally related issues. They were concerned about Sean's reputation as a womanizer and his relationship after receiving a letter describing them because her mom got a letter. We know that. Um, The victim insisted she did not want to discuss or know about his other relationships when her mom asked her about him. Mm -hmm. Uh, The writers could not determine any reason someone would want to harm their daughter. Douglas said he thought someone may have hired, someone may have been hired to kill his daughter, but could not specify why. Okay. I think you got something going there, Douglas. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Now we're interviewing Sean's girlfriends. Mm -hmm. So investigator Falenko interviewed Ginger Beam on October 5th. Great name. Uh, Seriously. Mm -hmm. Great fucking name. I know, right? Um, So she was actually longer than Ronnie. If you remember from the first episode. Yeah, yeah. So um, she said she heard about the murder on the six o'clock news the night of. And her immediate thoughts were, quote, Monica may have done this by hiring someone to kill the victim. Mm. Um, she said Sean had been seeing Monica for a while, but broke up with her because she was, quote, psycho. Um, <clears throat> another girlfriend by the name of Nancy Gonzalez was interviewed by Frost. Um, and Oh, by the way, we are going to put that picture up. Did I tell you that? Oh, yeah. You oh, did. yeah. Put it up. All right. You got to give it to me. Enthusiastically put it up, apparently. <laughs> so right. um, so she confirmed a sexual relationship with Sean, but was uncomfortable giving Frost any details. Uh, she was not familiar with the victim, but did know about Monica Karowska. Sean told her that Monica had smeared dog feces on someone's car and broke a window at his residence. Mm. Earmark that. Yeah. Um, she received two letters allegedly from Monica that she ended up turning over to Sean's attorney. The first letter had Sean's address as the return address, and the second was just emails with no return address. Mm-hmm. Um, 
<clears throat> excuse me, uh, Frost interviewed a friend of Gail's by the name of Stephen Jones and says, quote, it was at this point I asked Jones who he believes murdered Ryder and he told us we should look at Monica Karowska. Uh, he said they dated in 06, and when he broke up with her, she sent harassing emails and letters to numerous women that Gail had dated or was currently seeing. No. Frost said that they were aware of her and were currently searching for her. Mm. Uh, Jones had no other suspects in mind. Former girlfriend Elise was also interviewed. God, this uh, had to have been a pain in the ass. Oh, these all, guys, yeah. Like all these girlfriends. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. That, and I thought that too. I'm like, like, I, it's it's a list. He handed them a list of women, <laughs> dude. You know, and My Frost God. is interviewed for the the 2020 episode, yeah. Investigator Frost, and he's like, you know, we asked him if he was seeing anybody, and he's like, and he hands us this list of like 16 <laughs> women. He was I'm probably in, like, fuck, dude. I'm impressed he remembered all the fucking names. I don't remember all the names, and I wrote them down 157 <laughs> right. fucking times. Oh, man. Mm. Dude, I I don't fucking get it. Yeah. I don't get it. So, um, <clears throat> uh, hang on. I lost Sorry, I made you lose your God spot. damn it. Um, Sorry. So they spoke with Elise via telephone. She said that she had spoke to Gail um, either the night or the murder or the morning after. Mm-hmm. Um. She said that Gail had expressed concern to her about Monica Carrasca being involved involved since she had not been deported. Mm. He was planning on her being deported. Yeah. You know. Um, he asked her he asked her if she was safe and told her that she shouldn't be alone for the evening until the police could find the shooter. Mm. She lives in California. <laughs> Every other girlfriend of his lived in the surrounding areas. Right. Right. You didn't ask any of them? Right. None. Ginger did express concern. She was a little concerned for her safety. So yeah. they did have, the, the task force guys did have uh, an officer from her town actually mm. sit at her home for the next two days. So. Oh, wow. But he, he didn't fucking ask anybody. It's broad in California. <laughs> Dummy. Uh. Um, another girlfriend, Laura, was interviewed. Uh, she advised that Monica had sent letters to her residence, her business, and her neighbor. Yeah. She destroyed the letters and wrote it off as a psychotic woman looking to cause trouble for Gail, um, who she still spoke to in a professional manner. Real estate. They all do fucking real estate. I think that's code for something. Um, <laughs> she had sent a recent email to Gail. They had uh, lunched Ooh. over a real estate deal, and uh, it, the email had a flirty tone, is ah. what they said. Um, flirty tone. And she got these emails in the mail like two days later. So apparently it pissed somebody off. Yeah. Um, she believes her unlisted phone number was be- was retrieved by Monica while at Gail's residence. She did receive a harassing call at home from a female speaking broken English with a heavy accent. You know who she sounded like? Who? Anna. Oh, my Polish princess. Yes. Um, Anna, Anna is the lovely lady who comes clean. to clean our home yeah. sometimes. Um, she was asked if she knew who could have killed Ryder. And she said she didn't want to accuse anybody, but it could have been a psychotic woman. Um, and her personal belief is that someone put a hit on Ryder. Ooh. So we're what, three? Yeah. Okay. Um, at some point, investigators did find Monica Karowska, and they did interview her. Yeah. Her uh, 
quote unquote alibi was Abraham Landa, who was a client of hers. She's a personal trainer. Mm -hmm. Um, He said he was interviewed and he said that she had a session with him the morning of the murder. Uh, According to investigative report by investigator Schletz, who works for Waukegan PD, Mm -hmm. earmark that. Okay. Okay. Um, So he interviewed him uh, on the 9th of October, it says. Monica was recommended to him as a personal trainer. He stated that she arrived at her residence on October 4th, 2007 at exactly 8.12. The workout session lasted from uh, 8.30 to approximately 9.30. They talked for a while, uh, and she ended up leaving the residence between 10 and 10.15. She was wearing a dark-colored warm-up suit and driving a black sedan, which was her black Lexus. Mm Mm-hmm. Monica, at some point, had told him about the relationship with Gail and was depressed about it and said that she had later had problems with Sean when he blamed her outright for writing the letters. Hmm. So now everybody thinks Monica wrote the letters. Yeah. Everybody. Yeah. And the letters came out after he broke up with her. Okay. Um, Abraham Landa then volunteered the information that their relationship was only professional. So here's my theory. I'll give it short and sweet. Okay, uh, he gave a very specific time of arrival, but all of the es- all of the other times were estimated. Yeah, okay? that's strange. so. <laughs> we'll start with the phone records. Um, she there were phone calls between the two of them um, in September on the twenty first, twenty third, twenty fifth, and twenty sixth. They all lasted between two and four minutes. Mm-hmm. Assumption would be you're confirming an appointment. Yeah. I don't know. I'm assuming. Um, on October 4th, the day of the mur- murder, there were six calls between 3.39 and 8.20 p.m., the longest of which lasting 17 minutes, the s- shortest of which lasted, I believe, six minutes. Mm. On 10.05, uh, there were <clears throat> excuse me, phone calls 8.38 to 8.50, and those were 10 minutes. And then not again until October 8th. There were two calls between uh, 11.07 and 11.12, equaling seven minutes total. Interesting. So six calls the day of the murder, yeah. the evening of the murder. I have a lot more on that. Well, but So from Ronnie's address to Landa's house, yeah. according to um, Google Maps, there mm. are three different routes, all of which are 11 minutes. Mm. Okay. First shot, 7.52 to 7.53. She arrived at 8.12. Yeah. Earmark that. Okay. Reasonable doubt. Throw that out there. You okay? Yeah, I got an eyelash yeah. in my eye. Okay. Um, so back to Sean. According to Falanco's interview, he spent the evening of October 3rd at home. Business associate Marty Yang arrived between 7 and 7.30 to discuss a real estate venture and left at 9.30. He then watched a baseball playoff game spoke to the victim at approximately 10.40 before going to bed. He did tell Falenko that he was pretty sure the baby was his, but he was planning on getting a paternity test after yeah. the baby was born. Uh, he last saw the victim on October 2nd. He, do, he does not know who would want to hurt the victim, but he did have a female stalker. Uh, he had a previous relationship with a woman named Monica who sent malicious... Malicious? malicious? Wow. Malicious. Emails, uh, telephone calls, and property damage, and he did get an order of protection against her. <laughs> he said he owned two weapons, an assault rifle, and a 9 millimeter semi-automatic, but they had not been fired for some time. No. 
now his Frost's report mm-hmm. um, says that <clears throat> Sean says he contacted Deerfield PD and learned the victim had been shot, which he did not. They didn't tell him anything over the phone. Right. Um, at 3.15, the interview concluded. Gail informed, uh, he was informed by them that they needed to speak with command to see if there was any new information from the scene. Yeah. He was very persistent with wanting to know what happened. Um, Frost informed him that the victim was deceased from a gunshot wound. Quote, I made it clear that without family notification, I would not confirm beyond a reasonable doubt that it was his girlfriend, Ronnie Ryder. Uh, But based on the information he was given, he believed it was her. What was she shot with again? Nine millimeter. A nine millimeter? Yeah. And he's got a nine millimeter? He's got a nine millimeter. Did they test fire it? I think so. Okay. I'm I'm getting there. I'm glad you're getting into this now. Okay. Because I really need your feedback on some of this. All right. Um, Now, Frost did say in the 2020 interview that he was surprised at Sean's demeanor. Yeah. He thought he would be more upset. He was just like, meh. Meh. And people mm, grieve in different meh. ways. We get that. But yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> so when he told him that, Gail's reaction didn't change. And he immediately wanted to know how she was found. What? Yeah. What, what the fuck does that matter? Well, Frost uh, stressed he didn't know what answers Sean was looking for, but he couldn't give him specifics. No. To which Gail said, quote, was she found in a pool of blood? Wait, what? He really said he that? He really said that. He said, was she found in a pool of blood, and did someone break into her apartment? Okay. Why would you ask That's, if she was found in a pool of blood? I, I don't know. You know That's, how many reports I've written about people who were shot, and I've never once described them as lying in a pool of blood? Right. Not to mention the fact, not all gunshot wounds bleed that much. No. Why would you ask that question? I, I, wow, I'm stumped. Mm, mm-hmm. Why the fuck would you ask that? Mm. Well, Frost was like, dude, you're not going to benefit from knowing any of that information. Yeah. So we're not going to, we're not going to fucking give it to you anyways. Right. So he said that no one, Sean said no one was telling him anything and he just wanted to know. Well, what you're asking, you don't need to know. No. Those are odd questions. It's fucking dumb. It's an odd question. Yeah. I, I've never even asked officers on the scene of shootings if they were in a pool of blood. Right. Dun, dun, dun. So he owned uh, an H&K 9mm handgun and an assault rifle that he purchased, quote, around 1990. Mm-hmm. He denied any recent trips to the firing range and said that the last time he shot either weapon was when they were purchased in 1990. Okay. I got a problem with that. What's your problem? So there's a label on the assault rifle with the manufacturer company and the date of April 1st, 1994. Ooh. And then the HNK 9mm handgun was, it was a Beretta. Yeah. It was a Beretta 9.2FS. Yeah. And according to BerettaSupport.com, if you search it up by the serial number, it shows that that gun was manufactured in 1993. Ooh. So. Liar. Yeah. The guns weren't even made when you said you bought them yeah. and shot them last. That's so. kind of a big deal. Boom, bitches. Yeah, that's kind of a big deal. Thank you, Beretta Support. And thank you for continuing to send me emails on ammunition. Good on job, sale. babe. Um, 
You're so, not even a gun girl. I'm not even a gun girl. And yeah. Wow. You can look up Berettas, any Beretta with a serial number and find out when it was manufactured. Really? Yeah. But there's a giant picture of the label on the assault rifle, by the way. Is there really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I did, forgot to show you, didn't I? Yeah. Ugh. I'll show you when I give you the picture to post. All right. Um, so he was advised that he was not under arrest and he was free to leave. Um, at 1245. Oh, God. This I should have read this first. All right. I'm mixing up the interviews. I'm sorry, guys. So this is the God be- damn it. I know. This is the beginning of the interview. Okay. I apologize. I'm focusing on you picking at your eyeball. Yeah. My eye is watering now. Don't cry. I'm trying not to. Ugh. No, I had an eyelash and I got it out, but now my eye is like burning and watery. Oh, I'm sorry. <sighs> All right. So I fucked up. Sorry. Um, So back to the beginning of the interview. Um, he was advised he was not under arrest and he was free to leave. Yeah. At 1245, Filenko briefs Gale asks, um, and asks him to explain his whereabouts for the last 24 hours. This is where Frost says, see Filenko's supplemental report. Okay. Um, at 1.50, the interview concluded to give Gail a break. At 2.49, the interview started again, um, and they wanted they said they wanted step-by-step yeah. of what happened or what he did on October 3rd. Yeah. Don't leave anything out. Little details are important. Right. So he said he spoke with the victim at 5. She had left work and was going to the gym. He believes somewhere between 8 and 8.45 p.m., Ronnie left a voicemail saying she was home. Mm-hmm. He said he must have been on his cell phone at the time of Ronnie's call. Or by on your cell phone, do you mean on Marnie Yang? Because mm-hmm. she was at your house. Okay. You told the other guy she was at your house from 7.30 to 9.30. Mm-hmm. So now you're sitting here at 8 o'clock and... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, according to his phone records, there were no incoming or outgoing calls on his phone at that time. Cell phone or landline. So you weren't on the phone. Right. Um, he did say that the victim normally calls when he when she gets home. Between 9 and 10 p.m., realtor Marnie Yang was at his residence discussing a business deal regarding a recently purchased property that he had purchased. Yeah. Uh, Marnie left. He smoked a cigar and watched a Cubs playoff game. Uh, they did play Ew. the Diamondbacks that night at 9 p.m. and they did lose Good. The, the game. I Googled to make sure there was an actual game. Um, <clears throat> he believes he briefly spoke with the victim at 1040. Okay. You, you don't remember? It's like nine hours ago. Yeah. Okay. Mm, hard, um, to, hard to recall that. Uh, she said that she was sleeping and would talk to him in the morning and he was unsure of what time he went to bed. Mm-hmm. Uh, Frost asked him if he would consent to a gunshot residue test and a search of his vehicles and residence, to which yeah. he did. Okay. Um, at 4.05, the task force was asking where the weapons were. Yeah. Sean said that they were in the master bedroom in a large black bag with two compartments, one in each compartment. So now the gunshot residue test. Yeah. Uh, per the sealed manila envelope label, the samples were collected at... Um, 12.30 p.m. on October 4th, 2007. He okay. wasn't there yet. Okay. They didn't start interviewing him until 12.45. Oh. Okay. 
Um, according to the Illinois State Police Forensic Science Laboratory Gunshot Residue Analysis Information Form. That's a big fucking title for a that piece is. of paper. That was long. Uh, Officer John Laskowski collected samples on October 4th and at, 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 at an unknown time. Now, the reason the time is unknown is because in the picture, one of the vials mm-hmm. is covering the time. Okay. Uh, it appears that the last three numbers of the time are 305 and PM is circled. That's just what I interpret. Okay. I don't know. Uh, on the sheet, though, it says the estimated number of shots fired is four, mm-hmm. which is not, but whatever. It was that day. Uh, so this was received by the Forensic Science Center at Chicago on October 5th, 2007. They received a collection kit, a kit control sample, and five samples. Uh, According to that, they swabbed the back of his right hand, the back of his left hand, and what was described as the steering wheel bottom, gear shift slash driver's side interior door handle, and steering wheel top. They just did the back of his hands? Yes. Now, can you explain what they're supposed to do? Because that ain't right. Oh, I mean, you swab the entire hand, like... In between the fingers, I mean... The palm. Oh, yeah, everything. I mean, I would even go up his arm, like onto his forearm and everything. Hmm. So not just the back of the hands? Uh, no. Um, And so my next question then, too, is... So they, they swab the steering wheel, top and bottom, which... Yeah, all right, that's, that's where people good. hold it. Yeah. But then they swab the gear shift and the driver's side interior door handle with the same swab. It's two different spots in the car. Yeah. One would be touched with your left hand. One would be touched with your right hand, if you think about it. You're opening the door with your left hand. You're using gear shift with your right hand. Yeah. Why were they swabbed together? Well, I mean, did he come back? What did he come back? Negative? Uh, yeah. So the reports were resulted, uh, excuse me, the results were reported by Mary Wong, who is a forensic scientist, on December 20th, 2007. Uh, It says that, quote, may not have discharged a firearm with either hand. If he did, the particles were either removed by activity, not deposited, or not detected. Same with the car. And then she says, quote, it should be noted that an excessive amount of time had passed between the shooting and the collection. Exactly. Um, We don't know what an excessive amount of time is. Yeah. I I mean, it, it could have been collected separately, but, I mean, if there's... Gunshot residue on one hand, there should be on the other. Um, he did wash his hands, though. It was marked on the analysis form that he had washed his hands after the shooting. Uh, so, you're not going to get shit. Anyways. No, you're not going to get anything. So, at this point, um, Investigator Frost... I'm still glad they did it, though. Yeah, they didn't do it very well. No. Um, the, no, they didn't, yeah. but... So, uh, at this point, Frost says he changed the context of the interview and asked Sean if he had any suspects in mind. Yeah. Sean immediately brought up Monica Karowska. Uh, He said they had dated six months and broke up after he discovered she had accessed his personal computer at his house. Yikes. Earmark that. Okay. Uh, There was a charity email, or excuse me, he was involved in uh, a charity for... (laughs) abused women i think i talked about that yeah so he brings up that those charity emails accused him of embezzlement oh really um they frost asked him about his next trip to london which he said was going to be october 20th or the 21st wasn't sure Mm -hmm. uh at 442 the meeting was concluded because they needed to speak with command 
to see if they needed further information before they let Sean go. Yeah. Uh, at 6.15, they asked Gail if he had any more information. Sean stated he didn't know what he was going to tell her parents. Hmm. Nothing. Yeah. Why would you? Um, Investigator Frost was like, I don't get it. I don't get what you're saying because yeah. Lake County is responsible for the death notification. Yeah. Sean said he felt and that... he didn't even really know the parents he didn't. that no. well. So. No. Uh, he said he felt that they were going to call him because they were concerned for her safety and he had assured them that she was safe. Okay. Uh, at 7.45, Gail departed with his attorneys and his vehicle. So they started the house search at 3.33 and they obtained surveillance tapes at 5.30. The only camera working uh, at his residence were the ones by the front door. Okay. Um, so later in grand jury testimony, it says that there was footage uh, from his surveillance cameras taken to the back alley uh, and shows that Sean got into his car at a certain time. Yeah. That is false. The cameras were not working. Okay. There is no tape of him in the alley. Okay. Um, police were unable to access the garage door due to a broken lock. And per witnesses who had visited Sean's home on October 3rd, the lock was not broken. Uh, as this was the primary entrance exit to the home. They didn't use the front door. Mm. Um, it is alleged that the tools on the floor by the door were used to break the lock. The tools were, the picture was taken during a search warrant. Right. So on October 4th, 2007 at 9.01 p.m., WGN reports that Sean Gale is not a suspect. On October 5th, 2007 at 9.07 p.m., WGN again reports, quote, Deerfield police state that Sean is not a suspect. Okay. That's kind of early. Yeah. Nothing's back yet. They're yeah, still interviewing it's, people. It's the media. Yeah. So, um, Sean called Ronnie's home phone at 7.15, or excuse me, 5.15 p.m. while he was at the police station. He called once. It was like four seconds. He called again, uh, and it is alleged that he was attempting to retrieve her voicemails. Oh. Why? Yeah. What do you need them for? Yeah, that's a mm. little suspicious. Mm. Mm. So on October 7th, 2007, Ronnie Ryder and her unborn daughter, Skylar Rain, were waked at St. Andrew Catholic Church in Tennessee, Wisconsin. It's right by her, her parents' house. Oh, okay. Uh, the funeral the following day with mass at the same church through Martin Page Funeral Home. According to an interview with 2020, Sean... Um, was so conf so consumed with grief, he didn't care about the suspicious looks he was getting. Okay. Yeah. Um, he also told 2020 that when he arrived at the funeral home, he asked the funeral director to see the baby. What? Not Ronnie. Oh, dude. What? Not, not Ronnie. Yeah. The baby. And the funeral director said uh, it was an image he didn't want to remember. Yeah. What? That's that's so fucking strange that's weird. to me. Yeah. Why wouldn't you want like? Why wouldn't you want to see Ronnie too? Right. But but you didn't even want the baby. You didn't even want so, the fucking baby. And per him, he's the one who asked if he could see the baby. Yeah, that's weird. Um, so at the wake, uh, Ronnie's friend Michelle, <laughs> she was not fucking happy. Yeah. She went up to Sean and he went to hug her and she uh, pushed him away. Good. And was basically like, 
the fuck you doing here? And uh, why did you do it? Because she was a wonderful person Ooh. and you are not. Uh, and he said, quote, you have no right to ask me questions here and now. Uh, she then started to get loud and had to be pulled away by Ronnie's brothers. <laughs> wow. That girl. Um, there was a tombstone dedication mm-hmm. for the two of them. They were obviously buried together. Yeah. Um, Sean was invited and did not go. Good job. Five days after the murder, Sean had his attorneys contact the police and demand that an expensive watch he had gifted to Ronnie be returned to him. What? Dude. Mm. What a fucking dick. So at this point, Ronnie's friends are suspecting Sean, while Sean, his attorneys, and his girlfriends, per police reports, are all suspecting Monica. Um, According to WGN and Chicago Tribune, Sean was assisting the police and was not considered a suspect. um, And it was pretty quick to clear somebody. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, right? Yeah. Sorry, my nose was running a little bit. Um, So the same with Monica. Lots of allegations against her and order of protection was granted. Part of the order, part of the basis of granting that order of protection was her accessing Sean's email and sending those letters to his girlfriends, Mm, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, Assistant State's Attorney Ari Fizz, I believe is how you say it, told 2020 that Monica had a solid alibi and was quickly cleared as a suspect. She didn't have a fucking solid alibi. No, it wasn't that, that solid. No, 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 no. Uh, As we will later learn, uh, it is suspected by forensic analysis that the entire shooting sequence took approximately 17 seconds. Okay. With a skilled person shooting. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the first shot was fired at 7.52. She arrived at Abraham Landis' house at 8.12. Yeah. 17 seconds to shoot. She had nine minutes to get to her car from the door of Ronnie's condo to the door of her car. Okay. And then go en route to Landis' house. I'm not saying that's what happened. I'm saying that's what could happen. What could have happened. So technically, for the time of the shooting, she does not have an alibi. Yeah. Neither does Sean. Yeah. Because he said he woke up, God only knows what fucking time. Right. Between 9 and fucking 10. So he he doesn't have an alibi for the shooting either. So you don't have a solid alibi. Right. You have somebody who had 9 fucking minutes to get... To get away. And then you have someone who you don't even know where the fuck he's at. Cool. Got it. Um, that was my rant. It was a big rant to you. That, that and was. while I was trying to explain it to you the other day, you were not listening to me because you're like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, you were all over the place. Because I was like, oh my God. When right. I figured out, I got very, very excited. Yes, she did. Because I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fucking figure this out. <laughs> figure this shit out. Um, literally things change overnight. Okay. Overnight. Uh, now in comes Marnie Yang. Yeah. So what does that tell you? It's about, and it's an episode about her being in prison for murder. She's not brought up until the second episode. Yeah. Just saying. So Marnie was born December 29th, 1967 to Larry and Francine. I believe their last name is said Mare. If it's, if it's wrong, I apologize. Okay. Um, She was a single mother of three who was an aspiring fitness model and real estate agent living in Chicago. She also happened to be one of the many girlfriends of Sean Gale. She met him at an event celebrating the 20th anniversary of the Bears Super Bowl win. She was there working security with her then boyfriend, Sal DeVera. 
uh, at the Chicago Hilton. She was responsible for escorting VIPs to different areas of the celebration and says that she remembers bumping into him all day. Uh, The relationship started as a business relationship. Marnie was a realtor and he reached out to her regarding investment property ventures within like two days. Mm. Uh, Their relationship quickly turned sexual. Um, During the interview on 2020, Sean told a reporter in 2009, prior to the trial, that Marnie was not his girlfriend, quote, not even the craziest stretch of the imagination, end quote. Okay. But that the relationship got, quote, friendly. Okay. Um, so, side note, by December 2007, at some point, Sean had told the police that when Marty would, when Marnie was at his house the night before the murder, they mm. did have sexual intercourse, but did not explain the extent of the relationship. So he admitted to the police. He's yeah. up there. He didn't publicly admit to the sexual relationship with Marnie until he was called to testify in 2011. Okay. So, um, side note too, ton of inconsistencies told in the 2020 special. Um, according to the report written by Sergeant Timothy Burke, um, <clears throat> excuse me, Marnie Yang's came Marnie Yang's name came up when he was tasked with going through Sean's BlackBerry to note all the incoming and outgoing calls with the, within the last couple of days. Uh, it should be noted that this report implies Sean told Frost and Falenko about the sexual encounter with Marnie. However, neither one of them wrote that in their report. As a matter of fact, there were conflicting times of Marnie's visit. Uh, Marnie was one of the several women who uh, were told... You know, basically, they're going to be interviewing everybody Sean Mm -hmm. had relations with. Um, Several were actually contacted the day of the murder, as I said. Marnie was not contacted until December. Yikes. Um, Which is super interesting given the following um, written in Sergeant Burke's report. On 10-6-2007, the task force received two separate phone calls regarding Marnie. Both calls were from Chicago police officers, quote, who did not know each other, but had similar bits of information and concerns about Marnie's. That's wrong. Um, These two calls, quote, piqued the interest of the task force investigators as to why Marnie would generate such a concern amongst Chicago police officers. So that didn't happen? It happened. Okay. Uh, Kind of. Uh, Both of the officers were contacted that afternoon and both expressed concern over Marnie's involvement. Uh, Burke's report stated that they did not know each other. However, uh, they both worked in the same district and said that after relationships with Marnie ended, she became vengeful and vindictive to the point that many had obtained order of protections against her. I could not find a single order of protection against Marnie. Anywhere. In any state in the United States. Okay. Um, one of the officers stated that Marnie had worked in their CAPS program, which was like their neighborhood watch program, uh, in the 17th district. Now, what actually happened, which is written in a later report, was that Marnie was dating a Chicago officer at one point uh, who worked in the same district as the above officers that called. He told Marnie he was single, so when she found out he was married and fucking Marnie over, the breakup did not go well. Uh, at some point, this officer decided to take his lunch break at the Admiral, which, if you don't know, is a strip club. 
and thought it would be a good idea to take pictures with strippers sitting on his lap while he's in full <laughs> uniform. Yes. Um, uh, to which I say, same dude, same. Except uh, the picture got out. Yikes. And at some point, uh, he was terminated from the Chicago Police Department. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he was terminated because of the picture. I'm sure it did not help. But that's what happened. And that's what they were referring to in regards to an officer being. Okay. Yeah. Um, my guess would be that there weren't as many relationships that went bad in her being vengeful as they thought because she did work with caps for years. So if you're supposedly dating all these men and breaking up with all these men, why are you still working the neighborhood watch program? Why are you still allowing her to? Right. If you're claiming that these men had orders of protection against her, I don't think she's really qualified to be in your neighborhood watch program. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. Yeah. Well, that's because she didn't have any. (laughs) So, yeah. Um, It was reported in a police report some of the relationships with Marnie and Chicago officers would later come to light through subsequent interviews. Nothing. There's nothing. If they interviewed anybody else regarding relationships with Marnie, they didn't write it down. Marnie denies this, obviously. Mm. Uh, In the same report, Sergeant Burke said on October 8th, he was tasked with speaking with Julie Fields. She had contacted the Deerfield police to advise she believed Marnie had been involved in the homicide. Mm. He went on to describe that Fields was, quote, visibly shaken and had no doubt Marnie was involved because of her obsession with Sean. Julie was a former friend of Marnie's. Their kids played uh, football together. And Julie said that Marnie would brag about dating Sean. First, let me say, you're dating a pro football player who played for the Bears. It's probably a big deal to people. Why wouldn't you brag? Right. Why wouldn't you talk about it? You had no reason to think you couldn't. You were not told that you couldn't. You think you're dating this man. Okay? Yeah. Um, Marnie, though, said... She denies this and states in her 2020 interview, quote, I don't think the word boyfriend was ever used. That was not what I referred to him as. Um, Her son, Andrew, was interviewed later and he referred to Sean as his mom's friend. And that's what Marnie called him was her friend, not boyfriend. Um, The uh, report goes on to say at this time, based on the above leads and their interviews, Marnie had developed into a prime suspect. Mm. Um, It was learned through later interviews with Sean that Marnie had been at his residence the night before the shooting and left sometime after nine. Her whereabouts after leaving Sean's were unknown at this time. Now, her friendship with Julie Fields had obviously broken up Mm. at some point. There are allegations, allegations, I'm saying allegations, uh, that Julie had been involved in criminal activity, was arrested for it, and was pissed at Marnie because she wanted Marnie to also participate, and Marnie refused. Mm. Um, so, according to the report, again, a quote, uh, quote, garbage pulls were conducted from her residence in Chicago, which resulted in more possible evidence as to her suspected involvement. Uh, okay, so they decided to start doing garbage pulls on... Marnie. Um, and I literally just told you I wasn't going to give you any more dates, but the first garbage poll was done on October 8th. Now, I have a question. Mm-hmm. They spoke with multiple girlfriends of Sean the day of or shortly after the murder, correct? Yeah. Which the dates don't matter. 
when it was written, when it was done, the dates don't matter. Right. Mark just told me. So I apologize if I confuse you guys with dates. Um, my question is, all of these reports mentioned Monica, mm. who was cleared very early, um, which means she was interviewed very early on, obviously. Um, people had attempted to implicate Marnie. One of them was described by the police as visibly shaken. Mm-hmm. Why would they start garbage pulls versus bringing her in to talk to her? Everybody else was spoken to. No, well, I mean, they could have done it at the same time. They, did, they didn't. They did not speak with Marnie until December. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have waited that long. Right. That's kind of weird. It's weird that they started garbage pulls two days later, but didn't talk to her until December. And the only reason they started with the garbage pulls was because of these officers that called and Julie Fields that called. Right. Literally the only reason they looked into Marnie. Well, then I guess they maybe they wanted to see if they got anything from the garbage yeah. pulls first. Because at this And then if they found something... Then they could bring that up in the interview. Because at, at this point, her name had not been brought up. Right. It had been written down as being in Sean's phone. But mm-hmm. that that's it. Her name had not been mentioned in any way, shape, or form by anybody, including Sean himself. Yeah. So they started doing uh, these garbage pulls. Okay. Before she was spoken to. Um, investigator Burke said it was learned in later interviews that... Um, <clears throat> What am I reading? I'm sorry. I was rereading something I read already. So uh, per this report, the garbage pulls produced an empty Dremel toolbox. Do you know what a Dremel tool is? No. It's used for like shaving, engraving. It's like a multi-use tool. Um, And a quote, meticulously destroyed computer hard drive. Mm. Um, They found debit card and credit card statements um, for purchases of such items as Intel Intelsius, I believe is the name of it, checks, which is background checks or oh. phone number searches on all of Sean's girlfriends, including the victim and possibly her vehicle registration. Mm. Uh, it was not all of the women and Marnie did the search the day after she received the same letter that everybody else did yeah. on May 8th. She's a chick She's got a letter that says that the guy that she's sleeping with is sleeping with 15 other women. Right. This is not odd to me that no. she she did a background check. It's not odd to me That's that she did a background check. It's not odd to me check. either. Um, so it was also found uh, later on in a search of Ronnie's computer mm-hmm. that she was using a website called privateye.com to search Marnie. And she had also done hundreds of searches via Google and Yahoo on Marnie and a few of the other women listed in the same letter that she received. Yeah. So they're doing these searches at the same time, okay. essentially. Um, there was debit card information showing a purchase of two books on disposable silencers. They were purchased um, on August 3rd and uh, she received them on August 4th. It shows that there was a Home Depot purchase on August 4th for some of the items that would have been needed for a disposable silencer. And who is this? This is Marnie's Garbage Pulls. Oh. Now, the items that she bought from Home Depot, I do do have the receipts from Home Depot. Okay. She went um, three times in two days. One time she went uh, twice 
and the things that she got, you know, it's it's household items she was re- renovating. Okay. So it's stuff that would need to fix a sink, tile floors, stuff like that. Okay. The second purchase at Home Depot was, oh, I don't know, he's is... flipping, was only for $8 and it was actually a piece that she had already bought but a different size. Okay. Okay. But the police are saying this is... The police are saying that the purchases she made at Home Depot... Are for are f- a si- silencer. Correct. Okay. Correct. Um, <clears throat> the uh, garbage pulls and the debit history led to further investigative research of Marnie and her activities leading up to the homicide and after. Uh, it says, quote, she followed Sean and knew his complete itinerary on his trip to Mexico in March of 2007. Nothing in the garbage pulls showed this, and who gives a fuck? No. She didn't follow him to Mexico. She right. didn't go to Mexico with him. Right. She knew his itinerary. And? Yeah. So, so what? Hmm. Um, <clears throat> computer search warrants on the victim's computer, Sean's computer, and Marnie's work computer were uh, would further solidify Marnie as a prime suspect. That was a quote from the report. Okay. Uh, the task force asked for assistance from the Department of Homeland Security from their computer forensic uh, division. Mm-hmm. And they are called computer forensic agents, CFAs. Oh, so, fancy. Um, senior something agent. I forgot the fucking word. Senior? No, senior something. I don't know. Three agents, uh, Agent Robert Butterfield, Rodney Hart, and Kevin Gearlock were tasked with looking into the computers. Okay. Um, there was a tower and a laptop for both Sean and Ronnie. Um, quote, searched for evidence pertaining to malicious access into Sean Gale's internet or evidence sent via e- emails to or from Mr. E- Mr. Gale's email account. Mm-hmm. He accused Monica of accessing his email. Yeah. According to these agents, there was nothing found on his computer to show that anybody had accessed his email other than him. Mm. Um, There's later grand jury testimony that shows the judge asking, quote, so there's no evidence that a keystroke program had been placed on Mr. Gale's computer. ASA Fitz responds with, quote, no evidence we're planning on admitting or seeking to admit. Okay. So there's nothing there right. showing that the email was penetrated is a word that was used <laughs> later. I thought you would like that. Yeah. Um, she's still not brought in. She's the only person at this point that they are focusing on. Right. So they immediately also start looking into her son, Andrew. Right. Uh, And according to the report written by Investigator Sifkin, he was assigned to look into Andrew Yang, not talk to him. Uh, On October 9th, he found out that uh, Andrew attended Von Steuben High School, and he called and spoke with the resource officers to see if he could meet regarding background information. They set up a meeting uh, with Officers Fay and Trapolis. Um... They advised the resource officers that this meeting needed to be kept strictly confidential due to an ongoing investigation. Um, they were familiar with the homicide but did not recognize Andrew Yang's name. Yeah. Uh, one officer recognized Marnie Yang's name from her involvement with a Chicago officer. Um, 
this guy was also in the same district. Yeah. Um, investigators were given the previous year's school pictures of Andrew and Emily, who were twins, uh, and Andrew's excuse note for October 4th of 2007. They found out that Andrew had been arrested in July of 07 for criminal trespass. However, one of the uh, resource officers acknowledged that the college he was caught at was a popular hangout for kids uh, after it was closed. Mm. Uh, in their report, Andrew was described as 5 feet 2 inches, 160 pounds, black hair, brown eyes. Uh, the investigator wrote on October 12th while observing Yang's residence, I observed a subject believed to be Andrew Yang. At this time, though, he had puffy, long, wavy black hair above shoulder length. Okay. So they're surveilling her home yeah. also. Um, he says, quote, the investigation of Andrew Yang is continuing at this time and the lead will remain open. Mm. So they're investigating him, too. Yeah. Now, they start pulling phone records of Andrew and they also pull a year's worth of MySpace messages. Yeah. Ooh, MySpace. Yeah, mm, I love MySpace. It was fucking great. I didn't have one. Um, oh, it was Kelly had to help me put it. My it was great. I fucking loved it. so much. It's so much better than Facebook. Really? You could put songs on there and like oh. pictures and st- it was great. So much fucking better. <laughs> so much better. Um, so at, my question is, how old is this kid? He's sixteen at the time of the murder. Okay. So him and his twin sister Emily are sixteen, yeah. and then there's a younger brother Brandon who is eleven. Okay. okay. Um, they are of Asian descent. Yeah. Obviously, with the last name, I shouldn't say obviously. Right. They are of Asian descent. Um, you can kind of tell. I don't. I don't know how to say it without sounding like a dick. Like racist. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't know how to tell. So I'm just gonna. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So, in regards. To the emails and the word penetrated, I wrote it just from you. Thank um, you. In the 2020 interview, ASA Ari Fizz said that Marnie penetrated Sean's email account, found the Polish woman's email, mastered the broken English, and wrote the emails in that form to frame Monica. That's a lot. That's pretty in depth. That's a lot. Damn. That's too much. I don't have time it's for like that. It's like a fucking computer whiz. Yeah. So Marnie's working three jobs and has three kids. Do you think she has fucking time to study Polish women's emails? Right. I, I don't. That's, now, the issue I lot. have with this is he also implied, um, <clears throat> excuse me, that Marnie had sent the letters. Okay. At the time of the 2020 interview, yeah. this information had been proven false. They knew at this point that there was no keystroke program on Sean's email and Marnie had not accessed his email in any way, shape, or form. Yet a state's attorney gets on national TV and says the exact opposite. Oh, that's pretty bad. That's one. That's fucked up. That's one. Yeah. Because this, like I said, it was well known. It was in grand jury testimony. Yeah. In before 2011, around 2011. Mm -hmm. And this 2020 episode was like... 2019 2020 so like really they knew they they knew and they said he said it anyways you gotta make it sound good again media yeah you gotta make it sound good so you gotta have a story but you're you're a liar you're a fucking liar 
like I think they give a shit. They they clearly don't give a shit. They right. don't because. And the thing is, I mean, who's going to look back on this and go, okay, well, in 2020, he said that she accessed the emails. Right. But they found out in 07 that she didn't. Like, who's going to look back on that? Right. So unless you have a reason to look, you're not going to know. So people now still think, as of today, that Marnie accessed his emails. She did not. It was proven forensically that she did not. Yeah. Okay? Throwing that out there. Um. Everything changed, though, now, because everybody's looking at Marnie and her son. Everybody said it was Monica. No one looked into it. And now Sean has switched, too. Really? He flips overnight. He's now saying that it's Marnie. Um, He was told by the task force um, that Marnie accessed his emails and Marnie sent the letters. Yeah. So they told Sean this without knowing factually whether... They had. So they decided um, they were going to ask for his help, and they asked if they could wire his house, basically. Yeah. So he's like, yeah, cool. Uh, four recordings were taken from Sean's home between November and December of 2007. Um, the task force was highly disappointed because they got literally fucking nothing. <laughs> At one point, Sean asked Marnie, do you think the person who killed Ronnie sent the letters? Marnie says something along the lines of, it's possible yeah. Basically, you have to be a sociopath to to be able to kill somebody and move on. Right. Um. So then the reporter on 2020 very dramatically was like, "Done, done, done." She's talking about herself. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Oh, cool. Sure. Yeah. Um. They got the opposite of what they were looking for because it comes out later that there was exculpatory information on the tapes that the judge later made inadmissible. Mm. Now I had to look up exculpatory. I did not know what it meant. Yeah. And it means evidence of some sort mm. of any kind. Yeah. That proves uh, the defendant's innocence. Right. It's a big deal. Yeah. You can't you can't hide that shit. Right. So any drink. Goop, 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 goop. Um, so finally, on December 10th of 2007, the task force asked Marnie if she would come in and talk to them. Mm-hmm. She's like, yeah, no fucking problem. Um, she goes in. She says in her interview that she didn't think she needed an attorney. Yeah. Um, a legal analyst on 2020 described her as relaxed and comfortable and sounding and looking as if she was just trying to help. Right. Uh, the interview lasted approximately one and a half hours and was done by Frost and um, Schultz, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. According to Investigator Burke's report, which does not uh, include any mention of December's interview, by the way, <laughs> uh, based on the garbage pulls and possibly owning a nine millimeter Beretta. How did they know that, by the way? Uh. Prior to the homicide, quote, it was determined that Marnie would need to be interviewed at length to determine her possible involvement in the case. Mm. Why? Um, so I'm going to start to try and mesh things. Okay. FYI. Um, oh, boy. There's not, I'm not going to give you dates. Don't worry. Not a lot. Okay. Um, so a search warrant was executed on Marnie's home on January 4th, 2008. Marnie is arrested and taken from the home as her kids are being woken up by several officers. <clears throat> Excuse me. All three kids would later say that their house was being absolutely destroyed. Oh, jeez. Uh, Emily Thanks. would later state how uncomfortable she was 
being a 16-year-old in pajamas in no bra, surrounded by and being screamed at by multiple officers, not being allowed to put on undergarments or actual clothing before she was taken to the police station. Uh, the kids were separated and taken to different police stations. Marnie was taken. Marnie was taken to a different police station. Okay. So now you have two 16-year-olds. You have two yeah. 16-year-olds and an 11-year-old. They were all sent to different police stations. They were all um, interviewed by different members of the task force. Yeah. None of these were inter- None of these were recorded. Uh, and what, well, when was this? This was in 07. Now we did look this up because they they spewed a lot of bullshit to the kids. Yeah. But it was not illegal for police officers to lie to minors until a bill was passed in 2021. Right. You've always been allowed, police are always allowed to make shit up. Right. You know, but now they can't for minors. Right. Back then, they could. Yeah. Now, knowing what I know from you, if you have children who are being treated as victims, per se, Mm -hmm. or witnesses, generally it's a forensic interview, correct? Yeah. Okay. Back then... We're not sure we couldn't find it. Yeah. We tried. and, And I don't remember. Right. I, I know it, it had to have been a juvenile officer. So we did confirm as much as we could that the two officers that interviewed Andrew were juvenile officers. Yeah. One of them um, was contacted by a source of ours to confirm that he was a juvenile officer. Right. And uh, the investigator was told to fuck off, and he hung up the phone. Mm. Awesome. Yeah. So... All three kids are being interviewed. None of them are recorded either. We literally, Mark and I searched everywhere. Yeah, we couldn't find out if they had to be recorded. And nobody remember. I mean, for being amazing cops, you guys have the shittiest fucking memory. Because none of you could remember. So, thanks for the help. I, I don't think it had to have been. <laughs> so. Unless it was a forensic interview. Which they weren't. They right. were not forensic then interviews. if it was just with the JOs. Yeah. I, I don't think they had to have been. So we're assuming not. Yeah, I don't think now so. they do, which is good. Well, because it's a forensic. You're right. Now, if you're interviewing a minor who is um a suspected uh perpetrator, mm-hmm. does that have to be recorded? Yeah. Okay. So it's a good thing that those laws are in place. Now. Oh, yeah. Because when they're not, what happens, as happens in this case, is it's a he said, she said kind uh, of thing. Exactly. And unfortunately, adults don't believe children because right. it's the old age. Kids are meant to be seen, not heard. Right. So um, it comes out in this interview that Marnie had filed multiple police reports regarding um, harassment. On July 6th of 2006, she filed a report that uh, at some point in the last couple days while she was at Sean's house, someone had, quote, smeared dog shit all over my car and under the door handle. Oh. And her wiper blades were destroyed. Now, if you remember, Sean referenced dog feces on a car that Monica had done. Yeah, Yeah. that's right. And it was done. Marnie filed the police report. It was done to her car. Yeah, Mm. no shit. Mm. No shit. Um, It was also mentioned that uh, she filed police reports for harassing phone calls between the months of uh, March and April of 07. Okay. So she was getting the same thing as other girls, remember? Other girls said in their reports that they were also getting harassing phone calls. 
One even got it at her place of employment, which was Soldier Field. Mm. So, Marnie was asked about the weapon she owned. Mm. Uh, she said she owned a SIG 40 caliber, a Luger 40 caliber, her Smith, which is a 38 revolver. Damn. And then she's like, wait, there's one more. Uh, she inherited two weapons from an uncle in Florida, one of which was a Beretta 92FS 9mm. Mm. Who else has that gun? Sean has that gun. Did they test fire this weapon? They can't find it. Oh. So, um, when asked where it was, she said flat out, I don't know. Uh, Around May of 07, things from her house went missing, Mm -hmm. uh, including the gun. It was the gun, uh, possibly a camera, a couple GPS things, and a PlayStation. Yeah. Um, They were stolen out of her home. The police asked her why she didn't report the robbery to her homeowner's insurance. Yeah. And she said that her homeowner's insurance really wasn't adequate enough to cover stuff like that. It was really just in case the house burned down. Okay. Um, We're going to fast forward a smidge. Mm -hmm. Uh, On January 8th, 2008, police interview Andrew's friend, Jesse Delgado. Um, he is pulled out of his home at night in his pajamas and put in the back of a police car because it's fucking cold. Yeah. He thinks at this point that he is in trouble because he stole the gun. Uh-huh. He tells them in this interview that on Memorial Day 2007, there was a party at Marnie's house and there was a shit ton of people there yeah. and that he needed money. Mm. So he took the 9mm Beretta, ammunition, two magazines, a PlayStation, a GPS tracker, and sold them. No. Now, he said he knew where these things were located, the gun and stuff, because the only computer in the house was located in Marnie's bedroom. Yeah. So when him and Andrew would get on the computer, they would have to go into her bedroom. This uh, admission was not included in the January police report. They just what? they In the January police report, they just asked when he had talked to Andrew last and what they talked about. Dude, that's huge. Yeah. Now, that's fucking huge. Spoiler alert, there is a post-conviction petition for Marnie. Okay. So there is a post-conviction investigation going on. Yeah. So in July, July 6th of 2017, a post-conviction investigator, um, I don't know if I can say his name, so I'm not going to, sat down with Jesse Delgado and has a videotaped sworn statement from Jesse Delgado stating... That not only did he steal that gun, he told the police about it in January of 08. No shit. This is a recorded sworn statement. Wow. Okay? Police make no mention of it. There's no mention of it in the police report. That's bad. Uh, Marnie was then asked about her purchase of the two books on silencers, and she said that they were bought as a gag gift for her cop boyfriend, Sal. That's such a cop. Um, it is so Sal would later testify about the books saying quote I was upset I was working extra hours giving her money to help with the bills and she gives me this present which I found useless and had no interest in (laughs) so she bought the books she gave him the books yeah so then she says she was gonna you know when that fell through she was gonna use the items purchased to make a noise distribution device for her kids' science project, but realized she didn't know what the fuck she was doing. So she stopped. Um, 
they assume it was Andrew because they look into Andrew's school schedule and pull his environmental science um, yeah. itinerary, I guess, for the school year. However, Andrew said in his interview that Brandon, the younger brother, mm-hmm. had recently gotten in trouble for a science project that he had either not turned in or did not turn in on time. Mm. Police say in the 2020 interview that the science project that her kid had was a complete lie. Really? It's not. They Damn, just they looked dude. at the wrong boy. Um, Marnie purchased anchoring cement the day after the murder. Mm-hmm. Uh, she stated it was because she was doing renovations and was going to use it to fix a tile floor. She tried it. It didn't work. She put the cement in the garage. And by the time she went back to it, it was hard. Mm-hmm. So she threw it out. Uh, detectives say that they didn't find it in the garbage. And Marnie said it was common practice to throw stuff out in the closest garbage can, which could have been her neighbor's can, which her neighbors have done too. They can't go in her neighbor's can, obviously. Right. So they're saying they don't, they never found the cement. Meanwhile, uh, Emily is at another police station. Why couldn't they go in the neighbor's garbage? Because they only had the permission to go in her garbage. This was in October that she said she threw the cement out. It's now December. You could pull anyone's garbage. I don't know. I'm just telling you. They said they didn't go in the neighbor's garbage. Because okay. she even asked them, did you go in their garbage? Yeah. No. So, at an, I mean, They could have, but... I mean, because garbage is discarded. It's it's stuff yeah. that there's a reasonable belief that you don't need it anymore, and that's why you got rid of it. Yeah. So, um, Emily is being interviewed slash interrogated at a separate police station. Excuse me. An investigator came in and slammed a bucket of hardened cement on the table in front of Emily, saying, your mom put the murder weapon in this bucket. Okay. So, I know now that you can lie to kids. Yeah. Um, Marnie was asked about her whereabouts on October 3rd. She said that she was at Sean's, then went straight home due to car trouble. She sent an email to her employer at 9.31 p.m. saying she wouldn't be in the following day due to car trouble. It would later be said in grand jury testimony that this email was sent from Marnie's phone one minute after leaving Sean's. Mm. This time was based solely off of the time Sean said that she left, which Mm was 9.30, uh, depending on the report you read, and not the time she actually left. Mm. It was also later determined that the IP address that it was sent from was the IP address of Marnie's home computer. Not from her BlackBerry. Right. Which, side note, her defense attorney says during trial that it was sent from her BlackBerry. Yikes. Yeah. Um, Excuse me. Um, uh, Police allege that Marnie did not go home after leaving Sean's, but according to grand jury testimony, her cell phone pings show that she was home. She allegedly was supposed to go to a friend, uh, Christy Passion's house, but was unable to, obviously, because of the car trouble. Right. Um, So Marnie stated that she was home the morning of October 4th due to the dead car battery. She got a message from Andrew that he didn't feel good, so she went and checked on him. He felt warm, so she kept him home. The school has a note the next day. Marnie couldn't get the car started after she fucked around with the battery, so she called um, Sal. Sal. Um, Again, grand jury testimony puts her phone at her home. We do have receipts from AutoZone that Sal did purchase a car battery 
and Sal testified that he did, uh, in fact, go to her house on his lunch break and install said car battery. Mm, okay. So, I have the receipts. Mm. Just saying. Um, they ask about the letters. Mm-hmm. Marnie said she received her first letter on May 8th, 2007. She kept the letters. Um, investigator Sefkin shows her a quote-unquote copy of the labels. Uh, they said that they were found in her home. Mm. However, uh, they have no pictures of these labels found in her home. They can't describe where they were found. And the only thing they have is that what they showed her does not match the labels on the letters that Marnie was sent or the other women were sent. Labels don't match. Um, They told Marnie that her children were implicating her but refused to tell her exactly what was being said. At one point, Marnie was told that Andrew was at home and would have access to her guns and maybe he did it. Yeah. Marnie uh, immediately asked for an attorney for Andrew. Yeah. Was not provided. Police also state that during this interview, they allegedly told Marnie repeatedly that Andrew was not a suspect. They did not. Right. Um, They inevitably uh, kept Marnie for 72 hours, Mm. which we talked about. Yeah. Normally it's 48 hours. Yeah. But apparently if you get permission from a judge, it could be verbal permission. You can keep somebody longer. Yeah, I've done it before. So she was kept for 72 hours. She was moved six times to six different police stations during this 72 hours. Oh, Jesus. Now, Marnie had asked for an attorney at the beginning of this interview. Her attorney was called, Mm. and her attorney would show up to a police station only to find out that she had been moved to another one. Jesus. So her attorney never got to her. Damn. Now, because of this, these interview her her interviews were taped. They were uh, deemed inadmissible. Uh, there was question as whether or not she was read her Miranda rights, and she didn't get the attorney that she asked right. for in due time. Yeah. So all these interview tapes were inadmissible and not allowed in court. Good. They were seen, however, in a pretrial motion. Okay. So they they were seen, and some of it is public. Yeah. Um, it kind of hindered her more than it helped her, though, which I'll talk about. Um, <clears throat> the kids were interviewed for uh, approximately twelve hours. Okay. Two 16-year-olds and an 11-year-old. Emily says, quote, I didn't know anything and they wouldn't accept that. And the mental frustration, it really broke me. And it got to the point where I started banging my head on the table. She's 16. Yeah. Uh, Emily admits to writing a statement that was made up, including um, Marnie telling her that she wrote the letter. Now, I'll bring it up later, too, but... At trial, when Emily was um, called to testify, she refused to testify, saying that her ins- her entire statement was made up. Yeah. Uh, Assistant State's Attorney Patricia Patricia Fix told her if she didn't testify according to her state statement, she was going to jail for perjury. Yikes. Uh, fun fact: Patricia Fix was accused of stealing campaign signs of Judge Louis Barones when she was running against him for judge. <laughs> Uh, this was in 2012. She denies this, saying an overzealous supporter removed them from public and private property and gave them to her. Uh, and then she stored them in her car. Of course. Yeah. Um, of course. She was placed on unpla- unpaid leave during the investigation, but did win. And she's now a judge. Oh, my God. Yeah. Fuck me sideways. Oh, I uh, love our criminal justice system. Another fun fact. 
uh, Waukegan is part of the task force, right? Theirs, so, yeah, I yeah. guess. So uh, one of the Waukegan detectives interviewed Marnie and Andrew. Mm -hmm. Uh, According to a Chicago Tribune article, Waukegan has paid out $26.1 million to 50 people wrongfully arrested. No city agency in Illinois other than Chicago has as many wrongful convictions. Holy shit. Sending six men to prison before they were cleared. Some of um, the costliest investigative failures in Lake County. Dude, that's that's Uh, bad. Because of Waukegan's... Um, involvement in Lake County Major Crimes Task Force. Other agencies have also been sued, such as Lake Forest and Buffalo Grove. Um, they were sued when the task force cases fell apart. Yeah. There is one gentleman, um, he was wrongfully convicted by the uh, Lake County Major Crimes Task Force, wrongfully arrested. He was interviewed by the same Waukegan detective that interviewed Marnie. Really? He was sent to jail for rape and murder of a young girl. Get the fuck out of here. He was cleared and released from prison when an evidence photo appeared of a shoe with blood on it. Yeah. They said it was his shoe and the victim's blood. Yeah. Here's the problem. The shoe had not come out until six months after the murder had occurred. Jeez. So, there's my fun fact. Moving on. Wow. Um, Andrew was interrogated at Round Lake Park Police Department. He stated that Marnie called Sean her friend, not her boyfriend. And he did say that Marnie was home on October 4th. Uh, He was very emotional and police reportedly told him they didn't think that he was being truthful. Mm -hmm. Uh, Andrew stated at one point, an investigator slammed his hand on the table and told Andrew, either you're going to jail or your fucking mom's going to jail. One of you's going. So... Are they looking at him as a victim or an they offender? Were, they were treating him as an offender. Wow. Okay. And that comes up more. Okay. But they were treating him as an offender. They told yeah. him, literally, it's either you or your mom. Yeah. One of you's going to fucking jail. So he said, quote, the only way I got out of the situation was to write down a statement that my mother wasn't home the morning of the murder. Mm. So he said she wasn't home. Yeah. Um, the kids were eventually brought back together at Round Lake Beach Police Department where Sal allegedly picked them up. Um, allegedly, the kids were recorded in the room they were in talking to each other about what Marnie had done. Uh, there's no proof of this video existing, yeah. uh, audio existing, and the kids deny that this conversation happened. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> according to a report written by um, Schletz, they met with Andrew on January 18th, quote, as he was leaving school. That's not true. Andrew is actually pulled out of school as school lets out at 301, according to the school's website (laughs) and Andrew's uh, curriculum that they had pulled before about the science report. So they took him out of school. Right. Um, He was taken to Highland Park Police Department. Uh, They told him that they had spoken with his mom, his father, and Sal, And based on those interviews, they had some additional questions, to which I wrote a note. I get at the time police could lie to people being interviewed, but lying about his dad is just shitty. Yeah. His dad was estranged and they had not spoken to him in eight years. So it comes out that they also told Emily 
that they had spoken to her father. Yeah. She asks for the phone number. They give her the phone number. She calls her father and he says, what the fuck are you calling me for? Yeah. And she said, well, they said you wanted to talk to me. He's like, I want nothing to do with you and hung up on her. Oh, jeez. Way to scar her. Um, Andrew was repeatedly interviewed through October. Um, <clears throat> Schletz prepared a typed statement that he read to Andrew. Um, Andrew initialed it and signed. It's unclear as to whether or not Andrew also read the report or if it was just read to him. Right. Because he needs to read it, right? Yeah. Okay. It's not like he couldn't read. Um, they left the PD at 520 and they took Andrew to McDonald's and got him some food. He asked the investigators about his dad, saying that he thought his dad was dead. Wow. So Frost gave him the phone number. Mm. So, yeah. Um, they then dropped him off at 6 o'clock at a gas station at the corner of Foster and Kimball. He's 16. Can they do that? Uh not that I've ever been aware yeah. of. Uh, well, the reason they dropped he him off there. should have been released to a parent. Well, here's the thing. They didn't even call Marnie to tell Marnie that they were interviewing him. They just pulled him out of school. Okay. None. Hang on. Jesus. There we go. Um, none of the children. Marnie was not asked permission to interview any of the children at any point in time. Yet they continued to interview them. Yeah, that's... Um, Andrew was interviewed multiple times. Marnie was never asked. So the reason they dropped him off um, at this gas station per Andrew is because Marnie didn't know where he was. Wow, that's... Yeah. I, I don't think that's right. So now you have kids who are fucking traumatized. Yeah. <laughs> um, Emily, at one point, becomes depressed and suicidal and is hospitalized in a mental health facility in May of 2008. Oh, Jesus. Andrew uh, also... Very shortly after a last interview in October of 08, also became depressed and suicidal and was also hospitalized in a mental health facility. Oh, my God. Yes. So now, after all of this, the police have no physical evidence tying Marnie to the scene or the murder. Right. Uh, at some point, the investigators found out that Marnie rented a car on October 2nd. Uh, on October 3rd, Marnie returned the blue car she originally rented, asking for a darker one, to which she received a 2008 Volkswagen Rabbit, which I didn't know existed because if I knew a car was called the Rabbit, I would have it. Oh, yeah. Throwing it out there. Fuck yeah. Uh, the car was returned <clears throat> on October 1st, 1st, 4th, Jesus, fuck, October 4th at 921, um, <clears throat> per the prosecutors. They said that Marnie returned the car and paid for cash, or excuse me, she paid with cash. Marnie doesn't use cash. No. Um, <clears throat> Marnie actually rented the car for a photo shoot. She returned the blue Kia because the photographer wanted a black car. The photographer was supposed to return the car, which he did on October 4th, and paid with cash, yeah. which was verified through Enterprise. Uh, she met this photographer at a bikini contest. It was not her normal photographer who has been interviewed previously. Yeah. Uh, it became a big to-do after the 2020 interview because she was asked what the photographer's name was and she couldn't remember. Uh, according to my sources, Marnie couldn't remember his name because he didn't give his real name. He was allegedly impersonating a famous, or excuse me, a band member from a famous grunge band along with other names and is currently being prosecu prosecuted in a local county. For identity theft. Huh. Um, <clears throat> according to phone records, also, 
At the time the car was returned, Marnie was on the phone with a bill collector at 9.13. Phone records show this of her house phone. Yeah. So she can't be at home and returning a car at the same time. Right. Um, Police find out that the address given for the rental car was her friend Christy Passions. I'd like to now introduce the weak link. Christy Passion. Let me drink. Goop, 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 goop. Um, she's a peach. Uh-huh. She's a real peach. Okay. Uh, she was also interviewed in January. Yeah. And the only thing she really said was she was at her boyfriend's house the night of the murder. Yeah. Um, according, uh, nope, I already read that. Uh, on February 18th, 2009, the task force obtains a wiretap order for Marnie's home and cell phone. It would later come out the order was obtained with falsified information and a created document that appeared to look like a phone log. Okay. Uh, the document shows that the phone, um, this particular phone, pinged in Arlington Heights the day of the murder, which is where Christy Passion lives. But they also reported that it was pinging in Mount Vernon at the same time. Yeah. Mount Vernon is 306 miles away from her home. Yeah. So... They probably didn't mean Mount Vernon, but that's what they wrote. Yeah. Uh, so this was a track phone. No, isn't there a Mount Vernon up north? There too? is, but it's 306 miles away. No. From Arlington Heights? No, from Marnie's home. Mm-hmm. That's what was in the report. Um, okay, so this was a track phone. They found out in the post-conviction uh, investigation that in 2007, TrackPhone did not have their own towers, and they used AT&T towers. AT&T phone records, excuse me, for pings are reported in latitude and longitude, not city and state, as the documentation used to obtain the tap was city and state. Hmm. Are you Googling yeah. Are you still listening? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so uh, the post-conviction investigators state that this document was completely fabricated. Uh, on February 24th of 2009, Sal DeVera, Christy Passion, and Andrew Yang were going to be interviewed, and that was the day the wiretap started. Several calls were recorded prior to this uh, between Marnie and Christy due to Christy's work line being recorded. Um. <clears throat> And then I wrote, Christy was a bit of a wackadoo. (laughs) You have to listen to this because this is your favorite part of any case. I'm listening. She was a self-proclaimed professional psychic and tarot card reader. Oh, get the fuck out of here. (laughs) She claimed to have worked for the CIA and claimed to have been hired by the military to read minds of the enemy. Uh, After getting nothing on the phone tap immediately, the task force took Christy and her boyfriend into custody. They were held incommunicado, which I had to look up. It means they had no means of communication, Mm -hmm. uh, for several days at the Marriott Hotel in Deerfield. Mm -hmm. Christy does admit to this. Not then. She does now. Um, Christy is questioned endlessly about her knowledge of Marnie and the homicide. She repeatedly tells them that she knows nothing. On February 28th, Christy is told she needs to either meet with Marnie or call her on an unrecorded line and tell her that the task force had issued a warrant for Andrew's arrest. Passion called the house phone that day. Excuse me. And 
at 11.33 p.m., Christy calls Marnie on a wiretapped line, saying she went over everything with the police, and they kept pushing her about the phone and about the car. And she says, quote, I don't know what the hell that is. To which Marnie replies, all right, we will start making shit up. Wow. Earmark that. That's on a recorded line. Damn. Uh, after days of getting nothing, the task force told Christy they were going to charge her with Ronnie's murder if she didn't tell them Marnie's involvement. <laughs> uh, she broke and wrote a handwritten statement, which she changed multiple times. Yeah. Um, like I said in her January 08 interview, she said that she went to her boyfriend's house after Marnie canceled dinner plans or blew her off. She doesn't remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, in her statement, though, she said Marnie came over on October 3rd and said she had decided to kill Ronnie after debating for weeks whether she should kill Ronnie or Sean. Uh, she had Christy read her tarot cards to see if she would be successful in killing Ronnie. Jesus. And she pulled a sun card, which means... What does that mean? It means she would be successful. Oh, my God. Um, she said Marnie came up with a code to tell Christy when it was done, and the code was, want to go to dinner? Now, police are very suspicious of this. And one of them says, I thought about this for months. It's 8 o'clock in the morning and she's asking about dinner. (laughs) Dude, me, Kate, and Jackie planned lunch the night before. What do I always ask for uh, in the morning? 6 fucking 30. Babe, can we get pizza tonight? Yeah, I did it today. We think about food 24-7. I do not think that this is even a remotely weird (laughs) question. It fucking isn't. We will figure out lunch the the day before. Yeah. So, no. I no. It's, it's not weird. It's not weird. No. Not even a little bit. Um, <clears throat> she said that Marnie, you know, came up with the code. Uh, Christy said she went to bed that night, and when she got up at eight fifteen, Marnie was gone. Marnie called Christy at work, asking if she wanted to go to dinner. Who <laughs> and Christy's like, yeah. <laughs> Marnie's right. like, all right, you okay? And she's like. Yeah, and Marnie's like, cool, call you later. Casual conversation, let's go to dinner. Um, Christy said that Marnie came to her house that night and confessed to the murder. Everything, confessed details, everything. And that they then drove around disposing of Marnie's disguise, which was a wig and a sweatsuit throughout Arlington Heights. Marnie went to throw the sweatsuit out, and Christy Passion said, no, 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 donate it. (laughs) <laughs> Somebody could use that. Donate that. Uh, good thinking. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> donate it. Of just, course. Just donate it. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Oh my God. She said also that Marnie had buried something in Rolling Meadows. Mm-hmm. That comes up later. So now at this point, um, Marnie starts, she starts planning. Mm-hmm. She is under the impression that Andrew is about to be fucking arrested for murder. Yeah. And being a mama bear, mm-hmm. she's like, no, you're not going to take my kid. You're going to take me. Yeah. She figured that if she got the case out of the hands of the police and the task force and into the court system, they would be able to sort it out. Um, she started thinking about this, she said, when she was visiting Andrew at the mental health facility. Right. Basically, she, if he can't handle being interviewed, he's going to die in jail. Yeah. Is, is what she thought. Yeah. Um, this whole thing was destroying her kids, and Marnie said she'd be damned if she'd let it happen. Mm-hmm. So, as a mom, I get it. Yeah. I get it. I get it. Wholeheartedly. You know you didn't do it. You know your kid didn't do it, and they're going to arrest your kid. Yeah. No, come for me. Yeah. He's only 16. So, I get it. 
Um, Marnie was going to confess using details from the information that she had learned from the task force, her children, and the media. She discussed this plan at length with her dad, Larry, and her mom, Francine, on a recorded line on February 28th. Mm -hmm. Uh, Side note, uh, ASA Patricia Fix never disclosed these phone calls in her discovery disclosures. Oh, of course not. The phone logs kept by law enforcement show that the calls took place and were recording, but no recording was ever produced. To which I say, Brady v. Maryland, the law requires a prosecutor to disclose exculpatory evidence. Yeah. Uh, Post-conviction investigators compiled the actual phone records of Marnie's two phones and also Larry and Francine's two phones. They compared these calls with the wire log recordings of Marnie's phones and a difference existed in the time uh, between the task force log length of calls and the phone company's length of calls. Several seconds are missing from many of the calls. Mm. Uh, The recording length was shorter than the log time, and the log time was always shorter than the phone company record. Wow. Uh, These conversations were not on the designated disks of the phone calls recorded between Marnie and her parents. Mm. That's convenient. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah, that all of these phone calls happened. And all of them are recorded. And this is the one conversation you don't have. Right. And the logs show that you cut the tape, basically. (laughs) So. um, Wow. On March 1st, 2009, with the tip from Christy that Marnie had buried something in Rolling Meadows, the task force and an evidence technician went to Meridian Banquets Hall at 1701 Algonquin Road in Rolling Meadows. They could not find anything, obviously. Mm -hmm. Uh, So metal detectors were brought in and a medical alert bracelet with pearl-like beads and a tag that said pregnant was located on top of the ground under debris, not buried, in pristine condition with no signs of rust or decay. Okay. It was supposedly buried in October. Wow. Now the bracelet becomes a big deal um, because why, why do you need a bracelet that says pregnant? She had a bump. Yeah. She had an obvious bump in recent pictures. Right. Um, What you looking at? Oh. um, December 4th of 2018, post-conviction investigator delivered the bracelet to independent forensics for DNA comparison to the known DNA of Ronnie and Marnie. Yeah. Testing procedures recovered. uh, There was recoverable DNA indicative of a mixture of two contributors. Neither one of those contributors were Ronnie or Marnie. (laughs) Uh, Investigator Frost contacted Sean and all of Ronnie's friends and family, and everyone collectively said that Ronnie did not own a bracelet like this. Michelle brought up a good point. Uh, Marnie would have worn it, or excuse me, Ronnie would have worn it on her ankle, because that's what she did. She didn't like stuff on her wrist. And Michelle's like, how the fuck would she bend over and put that thing on her ankle? And all I could think of was me trying to put on sandals pregnant with Jax and you yeah. laughing at me yeah. so um <clears throat> on March 1st of 09 at 10 09 p.m Christy calls Marnie to meet her for ice cream at their usual spot which was Denny's she told Marnie uh that she was turning her phone off but in reality the task force still had her phone and they were only allowing her to use it to contact Marnie they arrived at Denny's at 10 48 p.m and after entering Marnie sees that Christy is wearing a wire hmm. Marnie said she didn't plan on doing the confession at Denny's. She just wanted to know what the task force had told Christy. Um, 
In her 2020 interview, Marnie said, quote, I knew perfectly well I was being recorded. I saw the wire. It was a rash and ill-conceived decision to protect my children. The state and the police call bullshit about Marnie seeing the wire, saying that it never could have happened. However, uh, as soon as they enter the Denny's, Christy immediately excuses herself to the bathroom and says, into the wire, no. quote, we have, a, we have trouble, folks. A piece came out and was hanging down. I don't know whether she saw it or not. Hopefully she didn't. She did. So, they they really got nothing. Yeah. So, on March 2nd at 734, Christy calls Marnie and says she needs to meet again to talk talk about this. Um, This time, Marnie saw the opportunity and took it. She uh, tried to remember everything that she knew about the crime said that she wore dark makeup and gloves. Um, She said that Ronnie opened the door and she took the first shot and she started to empty the clip. Berettas hold 15 bullets in the magazine and only eight shots were fired, five were jammed. So she didn't empty the clip. Um, She said that Marnie, or excuse me, Ronnie backed into the kitchen. Uh, She took one to two steps into the kitchen. Ronnie then tried to kick her while she was laying on the ground which there's no way she could have, and Marnie took her last shot. Marnie said she had to kick her feet back in so she could close the door, and that it was so dark in the kitchen she didn't know if she was firing straight. She only saw shadows. Hmm. Now, okay. I wrote, I have questions. Oh, boy. Um, how did Marnie know when Ronnie would be leaving? There is a police report from Ronnie's boss at U.S. Food Services where she worked. Mm-hmm. I think that's the name of it. That she was perpetually late. She was supposed to be there by 8 a.m., but she would show up routinely between 8 and 8.20. So unless you knew her, how would you know she was always late? Yeah. You have to be buzzed into her building also. How did Marnie get in? Yeah. You have to be buzzed in. Yeah. Um, if she fell backwards into the kitchen, she would be on her back. Yeah. Uh, there were sheer curtains in Ronnie's kitchen, and there was... Whoa. Hang on. I'm getting there. Because I, I know what you're going to say. She would have hit the counter and, and everything like that. We talked yeah, about it. Just most most shootings I've seen, you're going you're gonna to fall straight down on your belly. I have, an, I have explanations. Okay. Okay. Um, so the crime scene photos of Ronnie's kitchen, it's lit up. It. You can see what you're fucking looking at. Okay. It wasn't dark. Um, <clears throat> so she confessed with details that she knew, not with what had actually happened. She had no clue that these details were wrong, obviously. Right. So right. Um, on March 3rd, Marnie was arrested and immediately invoked her right to counsel. Mm-hmm. Which, why wouldn't you? Now, there's a picture of Marnie in a white sweater the day of her arrest. Mm-hmm. And she clearly has a large boot print on her chest. Clear as day. On mm. the right side. Okay. <laughs> Clear as fucking day. What? Why are you stepping on her? She's five feet, 120 fucking pounds. Yeah. Did she fight you? That you had to step on her boob? Yeah. And, and I mean, Yikes. it's... It's there. <laughs> right there. So, uh, William Hendrick and Jeffrey... Uh, Lerner were Marnie's defense attorneys. They had never done a murder trial. 
Ooh. Yikes. Okay, so now here's where I'm going to mix what happened in the trial and the post-conviction. Mm-hmm. Like, we're really going to mesh it here. Okay. Um, on March 25th, 2009, a grand jury convened in Lake County, uh, which I have deemed perjury city. Uh, ASA Patricia Fix and investigator Juan Mazarigos. I'm probably saying that wrong. Um, she says a pop pop was heard consistent with a silencer. He answers pop pop, yeah. not pew pew. He answers yes. Okay. Um, when talking about the witnesses with this investigator, initial yeah. descriptions that witnesses gave were not given. Mm. Uh, ASA Fix says, so it is proven that Sean was seen at, the, or that Sean was at the barbershop between the hours of 8.30 and 9, to which he responded, yes. No, he fucking wasn't. Ooh. And they let it go. Knowing. How? Knowing that was wrong. Dude, how? Hmm. Uh, Monica's not mentioned in the grand jury testimony at all. Uh, of course not. Um. They said that a Dremel tool was taken to the hard drive, meticulously destroying it. Uh, However, CFA Kevin Gerlach, remember who did the... Yeah. yeah, Yeah. uh, Testified at trial that he was unsure what the exact damage was to the hard drive and what caused it. And he was unable to pull anything from it. Right. Um, Excuse me. The time of the email, grand jury testimony, he says, yeah, she sent it a minute after she left Sean's. They knew at this point that the IP address was her home. Yeah. And they said, so she sent it a minute after she left Sean's, to which he responds, yes. That makes no sense. So we're perjuring ourselves. Yeah. And the the state's attorney is basically allowing you to perjure yourself. And we're not saying anything about it. Of course not. Cool. Um, So... Her attorneys received 9,000 pages of discovery. And they went, oh, fuck. Yeah. They asked the state's attorney or the assistant state's attorney fix to edit the material down to a usable number of pages. Yeah. And she was like, cool. She gave them only 1,500 pages (laughs) and said that it was the, quote, meat of the discovery. Meat and potatoes. Meat and potatoes. Um, so the post-conviction relief petition stated that this caused the attorneys to ignore the wealth of materials in the disclosed but unexamined discovery. Yeah. In doing so, quote, in doing so, they abnegated their responsibilities as defense lawyers and deprived their client of her 6th and 14th Amendment rights of effective assistance of counsel. Absolutely. Boom. Absolutely, they did. So, are you ready? You're all excited. Here's the meat. Sure. Are you ready? I think so. During the trial, the prosecution relied entirely on five items of circumstantial evidence. The defense challenged none of them. Okay, not good. So the trial started March 1st. It was a nine-man, three-woman jury. Um, Her attorneys had put in previously for a change of venue and a gag order that Judge Victoria Rossetti denied. Um, <clears throat> they the defense tried to say that sealed mail couldn't be gone through. They said, no, yeah. it's fair game. They tried to get the wiretaps out, saying that a Lake County judge could not make the decision of whether or not they could be played because the event happened in Cook County, to which the judge went, I'll make the decision. Mm. Um, 
They filed a last-minute motion questioning Sean's behavior. Yeah. To which ASA Fizz said, quote, if the defense is going to make any arguments that Sean Gale was involved in the murder, it's absolutely not true and ridiculous. Okay. The, de- the defense was also not able to present the pressured abortions. Mm-hmm. And they were also not allowed to introduce testimony that Sean, Sean had previously pushed Ronnie. Damn. There's a police report from a former co-worker, Ronnie, at Macy's that in early September of 07, Ronnie told her that during a fight uh, that she had with Sean, he had pushed her. I'll get back to that later. Yeah. Um, the gun. It's one of the five things. Yeah. It was a Beretta 92 FS. It was a 9mm. Sean had the same weapon. Jurors did not hear Marnie's interview in January, obviously, because the tapes were ruled inadmissible. Yeah. The state knew that the gun had been stolen. However, they did not reveal this, and the defense did not bring it up. Oh, man. Fucking sneaky fox. Yep. And remember, we have this post-conviction videotape of Jesse Delgado saying that he told police in January of 08 that he had stolen the gun. So, the state knew Marnie did not have possession of the weapon at the time of the murder, but withheld this piece of evidence from the defense. Dude, that's that's, that's a big deal. Exculpatory evidence. That's a big fucking deal. Exculpatory I, evidence. I can't even like specify how big of a deal right. that is. I literally don't have to go any further, and she 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 needs a new is trial. legally entitled to a new trial yeah. at this point, and I don't even have to go any further. Yeah. But I'm gonna <laughs> the silencer. The state contended that Marnie made a homemade silencer using the books that she had purpose, purchased from Home Depot. This was not challenged or questioned by the defense. These items were actually used for common household use and repairs, as seen in the photos taken during the execution of the search warrant of her home. Mm. It gets better. Firearms expert and former Department of Homeland Security agent was asked by Marnie's post-conviction lawyer to make a suppression device for a Beretta 92FS using the books and the items Marnie had purchased. He was unable to. His report states that to a reasonable degree of forensic certainty, the barrel of that particular firearm lacks sufficient length to attach a suppressor. Uh... ASA Fix is in, or excuse me, is on 2020, saying that, now we know that there's no suppressor on this gun. She knows this. Yeah. She says that the suppressor on the gun caused it to jam five times. You lied again. So now you're both lying. Cool. Dude. Um, Art Borchers of Larson Forensics conducted a forensic analysis of Ronnie's clothes creating comparative evidence by shooting a similar garment with and without a suppressor. The stretching and tearing of Ronnie's turtleneck supported contact, um, excuse me, contact or near contact of a weapon with a firing distance um, of an unsuppressed pistol. Mm -hmm. So, like I said, despite this, she said it on 2020. Uh, The state argued that Marnie was proficient in firearms and was able to fire eight shots and clear five jams while killing a pregnant woman in a condo building with neighbors who could come out at any time. Sal Devara, Devara, excuse me, testified that he did teach Marnie how to use a firearm, but not how to clear a jam, and he had never seen her doing so. Right. Uh, he would frequently, he would semi-frequently take her to the shooting range, but she would shoot Sal's gun. Okay. Because she's little. She's five feet, yeah. a buck ten. Yeah. 
Um, firearms expert Dan Kennedy met with Marnie on 12-11 of 2017. He's part of the post-conviction investigation team. Mm-hmm. Uh, immediately noting her small build with a hand circumference of approximately five inches, which is considered extra small. Marnie told him uh, she had an extremely hard, extremely hard time shooting her Beretta because it was very large and heavy and had a very heavy trigger pull, especially with the first shot. On 12-12, he contacted Beretta USA Corp, who confirmed that the pressure required to fire this particular weapon was more than other semi-automatic pistols. Um, because of its size and weight, it is not usually recommended for a beginning shooter. Right. Uh, he concluded then that due to Marnie's weight, overall strength, build, hand size, and hand strength, it is highly improbable that Marnie, Marnie would have been able to clear a jam in the Beretta. It would have been extremely difficult also for Marnie to fire the weapon, reach the trigger, and maintain adequate grip on the firearm during the many rapid shots. The five 9mm live rounds and the inside kitchen doorknob were sent to independent forensics on May 17th of 2018 and uh, August 28th of 2018, respectively. Uh, the live rounds were found on or near Ronnie's blood. They, uh, the forensics company found that there was a female and a male contributor on the live rounds. Mm. Ronnie is presumed to be the female contributor. Or excuse me. Yeah, Ronnie. The male is unknown, and Marnie was excluded completely from being a contributor. Oh, wow. Um, I went through everything with the phone. Yeah. Um, the prosecutors told the court that Enterprise Car Rental, Christy Passion, and Andrew Yang were the only people that Marnie contacted with this phone. Cell towers and records prove otherwise, and prosecution uh, prosecutors knowingly lied to get the wiretap. Mm. The defense did not challenge or question the wiretap. Oh, come on. Marnie said she obtained the track phone after relentless calls from a reporter, mm. which makes sense. Um, the state produced at trial a video from a surveillance camera from a Shell gas station in the area of the homicide. I'm almost done, guys, I promise. The state claimed the video showed the car Marnie rented driving in that area at the time of the homicide. They further claimed that it is how Marnie got to and from the crime scene. This video was not contested, questioned, or viewed by the defense. Prosecutors used the video and testimony of Detective... Mazarigos, again, I, you know, to positively identify the black 2008 Volkswagen Rabbit. Uh, Arthur Burchers, again, of Larson Forensics, is a specialist in forensic investigation pertaining to crime scenes, shooting incidents, and traffic crash reconstruction. Yeah. Uh, he started his investigation on May 24th of 2008 uh, with a final report in July. There are no police reports regarding the actual collection of the video files, specifically the date and time on the screen. There's also a nine-minute time error between the shell recorder and the actual time. Trial testimony does not match evidence packaging, bringing chain of custody into question. They said it was given to one person in the report, and then on the envelope it was a different person. (laughs) Jeez. the detective Mazarigo said he watched the video between 50 and 100 times, which equals two weeks to one month. Yeah, that's bullshit. Yeah. That's all you did? Yeah. I get if you're going to bullshit because it's a lot of work. But, but make it make it believable. believable. Yeah. yeah. Um, he stated that he captured the video of the car, but doesn't explain how evidence photos... Um, he doesn't explain how he captured the video. The evidence photos um, that were put you know, up at trial were mm. actually 
pictures, cell phone pictures taken of yeah. a computer screen. So it wasn't the actual video. Oh, um, uh, at trial, <clears throat> excuse me, the images, they say that the images are harder to capture on a second view mm. because of the vehicle's speed. Uh, that is incorrect. The car was actually blocked by traffic, um, like couldn't get around. The car wasn't even mm. moving. The ass end of the cars don't match. Mm-hmm. A Volkswagen, you know, the they don't yeah. match. Whatever. Um, Detective uh, Marizigos, and I'm going to keep saying his name because you lied. Um, he stated that this was the only black vehicle that fits the description of the 2008 Volkswagen Rabbit on the video. However, uh, there were at least 20 other small black vehicles traveling in both directions through the intersection in the 90-minute video that he observed. I thought you watched it a hundred times. Um, using this information and a reenactment that was done, uh, Mr. Borcher states with a reasonable degree of forensic certainty that the state video is false and misleading. Mm. There's 37 pages about pixels and how they get screwed up and how you can't see. They have a picture of a rabbit and the car from the video and they're, they're different. Yeah. That one's boxier, you know? Yeah. Um, so detect or excuse me, Dr. Manuel Montez perform, performed the autopsy on Ronnie the same day of the murder. Uh, he is listed in multiple news reports as a forensic pathologist. However, according, according to a FOIA request, Lake County has no certifications on file for him. <laughs> and according to a letter, so what the fuck is he? He's a doctor. Um, According to a letter from the American Board of Pathology, Dr. Montez is, quote, not a diplomat of the American Board of Pathology and has not been certified by the board. What? With further FOIA requests, it is found out that he did challenge the test and he failed to get certified. So he's a a doctor, but he's not a forensic pathologist. Not even a smart doctor. Not even a... So... It was falsely reported. I don't know if he said that. I don't. Dude, but yeah. how the fuck did this is wacky? Gets better. He got on the stand and testified that Ronnie, uh, quote, her arm is covering her abdomen in a protective manner. Okay. He also stated uh, Ronnie's left eye, she had a black eye, was caused by blunt force trauma from when she fell from being shot. I, I could see that. Just wait. Okay. His report uh, states that the collarbone shot, which was uh, the first shot, mm-hmm. was shot downwards. The defense relied heavily on this report. However, he um, got up on the stand, and after being told by Lake County that his report was flawed, he testified that he was wrong. He reevaluated the tissue, and the shot was actually going upwards. Uh, yeah, I mean, didn't he do put any rods in yeah it was downwards he was he was yes yes um he did not amend the report he did not amend his autopsy report okay um he also testified that the forearm wound was a quote defensive wound caused when aren't ronnie covered her abdomen okay no According to larson forensics the bullet wound would have had to reverse direction in flight and it would have had to have been a through-and-through wound to the forearm for this to happen. The forearm wound uh, went through, the obviously, the forearm, and the bullet rested right below the skin above the wrist. It was not a through-and-through wound. Um, 
he also he made his Y incision for the autopsy. Yeah. Through a bullet track. What? <laughs> oh, dude! Like what? I. Dude, if I was watching the autopsy, I'd be like, no, sir. No, wait. No, sir, no. Don't cut there. That That's not correct. I mean, if paramedics are taught to not cut through that shit, yeah. wouldn't a doctor be taught? Maybe you learn that in forensic pathology school. Mm-hmm. And he's not a forensic pathologist. Or even just fucking observing mm-hmm. an autopsy. Yeah. So, he went through the wound track. Wow. Um, I lost my spot. Uh, Dr. Montez was not supposed to testify about bullet trajectory. Mm-hmm. He did so anyways and gave information that Uh-oh. defies the laws of motion. Uh, why not? <laughs> uh, Larson Forensics, they actually found a woman who was the same size and build as Marnie mm-hmm. and made a foam. Yeah. Mar- or uh, Ronnie. That's bad. I got to stop doing that. Uh, they performed... Uh, testing using lasers and trajectory rods. Uh, They were able to determine that Ronnie was slightly turned to the left when the first shot struck the upper left chest, coming out her upper left arm and hitting a kitchen cabinet. Mm -hmm. She starts to fall after this, so that's why it is proven that that is the first shot because no other shot would hit that cabinet. Right. Okay. Um, the bullet's muzzle would have been approximately five feet off the ground, indicating uh, a shooter that is approximately five foot ten in a normal standing position on a level surface using a two-handed grip with arms extended. Mm-hmm. If the shooter had been five feet, as Marnie is five feet. Would have been uh, lower. Well, they're saying the first shot, yeah. Ronnie was standing. Okay. She opened the door. She's standing. The shooter is standing. Yeah. Um, if the shooter had been uh, five feet in the same normal shooting position, the muzzle would have been approximately four feet, six inches off the ground, and the bullet would have exited the lower part of the axillary, which is the armpit and not the upper arm. Yeah. The, uh, the, shot, the first shot would have caused Ronnie to turn counterclockwise. The next shot went through her abdomen into the forearm. That's where the forearm wound came from. Followed by a gunshot wound to the back and abdomen. Followed by a gunshot wound to the hip, which caused Ronnie to buckle and bend, which is why she fell face down. Mm -hmm. Followed by another uh, gunshot wound to the abdomen. And the last shot was to her head. Yeah. Dr. Cyril Wecht, who is a world-renowned forensic pathologist, an actual forensic pathologist, who has participated in many 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 autopsies mm. including very famous autopsies yeah um he was consulted by post-conviction investigators and he stated that the black eye dried abrasions to the uh right upper and lower lip and two dried red abrasions over the right side of her chin were consistent with blunt force trauma sustained when ronnie was alive and separate from the guns yeah i was gonna say was it old the color of the black eye indicates the, quote, injury was recent and sustained within a couple to a few days before her death. Mm. The features of the injuries to the lip and chin, quote, indicate that they were recent injuries and were sustained within hours to a couple days before her death. Mm. Ronnie did not go to work the few days prior to her death. Sean says the last time he saw her was October 2nd. 
um, I think I mentioned it, when they did the gunshot residue test on him, yeah. they noted healing wounds on his hands. He had scabs on his hands from scratches. Beat the fuck out of that her. That was written on the report. Beat um, the fuck out <clears throat> of her. Uh, the recording of Marnie stating that she was going to, quote, make shit up was not heard by the jury. The assistant state's attorney did not play it, and the defense did not know it existed. Because, again, they Man. didn't look through all of the discovery. Right. They got the meat. Okay? Uh, do your um, jobs. Yeah. Christy Passion's deal with the state regarding testimony in exchange for her not being charged was not disclosed at trial. Emily being lied to, obviously, is a big deal. Um, so with the crime scene now, eight shots were fired, but only seven shell casings were recovered. Um, keys were found in between Marnie's legs. Yeah. They thought it was a crucial piece of evidence, when in reality, it was keys of a coroner investigator. <laughs> that just left them they there? They just left him there. <laughs> Oh my yeah. god. Um way to fuck up that. Yeah. Nobody wore booties and there's no log of the people coming and going. Oh, but no booties is not a big deal. We no, but the have. log. Don't you want a log? Yeah. Uh after deliberating. Yeah, you, you log who the fuck goes in and out. Right. And Which makes times. sense. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh after deliberating for four hours, the jury found Marnie guilty of first degree murder and the unintentional homicide of an unborn child. Wow. She was sentenced to life. In July of 2011, the Ryder family was uh, awarded $40 million in a civil case against Marnie, which she clearly does not fucking have. No. Um, In 2013, Marnie filed an appeal and lost. In September of 2014, Marnie obtained a new attorney. His name is Jed Stone. um, And he was granted permission to test the shell casings to find the DNA. Nice. Uh, late in September of 2019, Judd Stone files his first post-conviction petition stating ineffective counsel, new evidence had been found, and Lake County prosecutors hid and failed to turn over evidence. Absolutely. CBS2 legal analyst Irv, Irv Miller states, quote, rule number one in criminal law, if you have as a prosecutor exculpatory evidence, and if you don't turn that over, the defendant is going to get a new trial. Uh, yeah, plain and simple. Right? Yeah. <clears throat> December of 2019, Judge Christopher Stride, who was the judge in her case, ruled that Ying's petition for a new trial has merit. Nice. Uh, Perry Myers, the lead investigator for Marnie's defense team, followed, or excuse me, found a print that had never been run in the Lake County State's Attorney's evidence file. <laughs> oh it was a fingerprint from her door, ha- Ronnie's door handle. Oh, no shit. Uh, the print does not belong to Marnie. Wow. It does not belong to Ronnie or anyone that is familiar with Ronnie's home. You guys had a motherfucking print mm, the day of the murder. That's fucked up, dude. You're pulling her fucking garbage. You couldn't pull her print off the garbage? Man, this case is wild. Uh, post-trial interviews with jurors conclude. <laughs> uh, they said that none of the evidence was convincing beyond a reasonable doubt. Reasonable motherfucking doubt. The critical evidence that led to a conviction was the recordings between Marnie and Christy, which were illegally obtained. Right. Uh, While reviewing the discovery, post-conviction investigator Art Borcher and John Larson discovered that multiple rolls of film of crime scene photos were never provided to trial counsel. Oh my God, These were the trajectory photos done by the Lake County Major Crimes Task Force. 
they show that Bernie's too short. Dude. So looking through the photos, the crime scene photos, it's obvious that there's photos missing. Yeah. There's photos of the bullets, like where the, the shell casings were found, where bullets yeah. hit things, never got them. Uh, the defense obtained the original discovery that was given to the trial attorneys and the trajectory photos were not included and Damn. not disclosed to the defense. Dude, that's fucked So there's up. more exculpatory evidence. Yeah. There was an agreed upon order that was entered allowing the defense to obtain photos of tire tracks that were found outside of Ronnie's to compare to the rental car. Mm-hmm. The state withdrew their cooperation, and the defense has yet to see the photos. Mm. Plain and simple, the prosecution intentionally concealed the existence of tape-recorded and photographic exculpatory evidence. They deprived Marnie of a fair trial and denied the jury critical information. Man, they, they wanted a conviction. Their right to effective counsel... Uh, excuse me, their rights were violated when the attorney's representation falls, quote, below an objective standard of reasonableness, and that there is, quote, reasonable probability that but for the counsel's unprofessional errors, the results of the proceedings would have been different. Dude, it's it's hard not to, like, push your opinion when you hear, like, facts like that. I don't... I won't comment on who who did it because right. we we don't we you don't know who did it. Right. I don't know who did it. But there's no fucking way it was her though. There you go. When facts like this come out, she is entitled to a new trial. Yeah. Legally is entitled to a new trial. So how why the is fuck she is, not? Yeah. How is it not happening? So apparently to get. A new trial, you have to go through three stages. Uh-huh. The first stage is presenting it to the judge. Yeah. They did. He said it has merit. Now, Lake County can respond right. to all of this. Right. Which, it, a lot of things have been delayed because of COVID and, and yeah. everything like that. Yeah. So, stage three is when it gets to the judge to determine whether or not she gets a new trial. Yeah. We're at stage two. Okay. Lake County is slowly responding to everything one of the things they're saying is that the post-conviction uh investigators are not experts Mm. they are yeah there's proof that they are experts there's proof that they've given expert testimony prior to um so basically it's they're trying to get lake county to respond to everything and then it if they feel that there's a good enough argument you know it goes before the judge again to decide whether or not she gets a new trial. Does she have life without parole? Yeah. Or? yeah. Oh, man. So here's what I don't understand, though. I, what are you arguing? What you arguing? Yeah. It's a new state's attorney. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fizz and Fix yeah. are both judges now. Oh, that's Dude, that's crazy. God bless the people that live in Lake County. Yeah. Because... I thought Cook County was bad enough. Seriously. They knowingly lied on national television about a case that they tried illegally. There's no way around it. Well, you got to sound good on TV. And now they're both judges. Man, that's... Yeah. So, there's proof. The The post-conviction investigations and the reports and everything, mm-hmm. There's there's pictures. 
I, yeah. I mean, the amount of of reporting and investigating that they have done is insane. Yeah. It can't be refuted. You cannot argue it. Right. There's no way to argue it. Right. It's fucking science. Yeah. It's science. And then just mm. the the discovery. They never got those photos. That right. and that's exculpatory evidence. New trial. Yeah. The recording the recorded phone calls. Exculpatory evidence. New trial. Right. Why are we debating this? It shouldn't be. The problem is she well, Lake County's gonna look bad after all this shit. Well, I they already look fucking bad. Well. Poor dude just got out of fucking prison after you guys put a goddamn shoe from six months later in there. Right. But what this is not being reported. That is the problem. Yeah. The facts of this case are not being reported. Right. These are the legitimate, true and scientific facts of the case. And nobody fucking knows about it. Yeah, that blows my mind. Nobody knows about it because a pregnant woman who was innocent of doing anything was shot. Right. And you 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 want to put somebody in jail. Yeah. I get it. But you're not doing anybody justice if you put the wrong person in fucking prison. Right. So Ronnie still deserves justice too. Right. Who's her actual killer? Because yep. scientifically, you know, she can't, she cannot be the shooter. Right. There's no evidence of her ever buying a wig or a disguise or dark makeup or a sweatsuit. Right. And she keeps receipts for everything, obviously. If we have the Home Depot receipts, the AutoZone receipt, there's a receipt from Walgreens the night before the fucking murder. Yeah. So the only thing she doesn't have a receipt for is the disguise. She doesn't use cash. Yeah. I, ooh, sorry. Why are we arguing this? Yeah, I don't get it. So the facts need to come out. Because if you see anything on it now, you're getting assistant state attorneys yeah. who are lying about actual facts of the case right. after the fact. And newspaper articles and everything like that. None of this factual information is out there. Right. I will fucking well, it scream it from the be. rooftops. Yeah, it fucking needs to be. I don't care who you think did it after watching whatever, Googling whatever, listening to whatever. She's legally entitled to a new trial. Yeah. Whether you think oh, she, she did it or not. Yeah, she absolutely is. She's legally entitled to a new trial. Uh, so. Wow. I'm that, angry. Yeah, I could tell. Yeah. This was a wild case. Yes, that nobody knows about right people need to know about this because this is fucking happening a lot everywhere yeah everywhere and illinois is winning the race yeah unfortunately she has a grandkid now she's never met and she said in an interview Mm. that she you know she did a jail interview with her attorney that the whole point was to protect her kids yeah and now this whole plan she used to protect her kids is what's keeping her away from her kids yeah so what a shame yeah so um i'm sorry that it was so long but i'm not sorry because i i couldn't do a part three (laughs) and i i needed to get it out there and i needed to get it out there at one time yeah so everybody could hear it yeah so for sure that was a good one babe (sighs) that was good she needs a new fucking trial
No, you need a drink after this I need this a one. drink. <laughs> I, I need a drink. Let's order some pizza. I'm legitimately, like, fucking pissed about this case. Well, unfortunately, this is our fucking criminal justice system, babe. It's, Bullshit. It's, it's fucked up. It's, there's a lot of fuck-ups. Oh, there's so many. So There's so many. But this was good. I I enjoyed it. I learned a lot. I hope you all learned a lot and, Me too. and enjoyed it. I know this was a little bit longer of a case, but it's interesting. Sorry, I'm so, not sorry. Um, our next case, <laughs> <laughs> our next case should be about a week. I think. <laughs> two days. Two days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, I'm I'm almost done. Oh, okay. <laughs> so. But uh, we'll yeah. have another one in a few days, so... And then we'll be doing a Patreon. Yeah, Patreon episode after that, so... so. But uh, thank you guys for listening. Thank you Again, for listening I, to me rambling for... Two and a time. half hours. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, thank you again for all your support. Follow, you guys are awesome. Like, follow, subscribe... Leave reviews. Dude, the comments you guys have been leaving. Yeah, are amazing. Are, you guys literally make our day. I hope yeah, you know that. you really do. Like, him and I could be ready to fucking kill each other, and he mm. reads a message about us bantering and everything, and we're like, oh. Yeah. I do no, like it's, you. It's amazing. Yeah, you guys are great. So, thank you guys so much. So, All right. Well, we will be talking to you in a few days. Yes. Bye. Bye. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.